Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Occasionalists. Uh, I guess episode two of season seven of The Occasionalists. Uh, Matt Pagel here once again with Adam Chemaluski. Chema, how are we doing, my man? Everything's going good, man. Episode two, season number lucky seven. Feeling great. Let's fucking do this, dude. That's right. The season of dreams, Chema. The season of dreams. Um, you bet, man. I guess. I don't know. Um, I'm not, we're not going to, I'm not even going to bother to try to can kick that ball down the road any farther. Um, right. anyway, we're here with a, with a quick little sports episode. Um, we, uh, this, you know, I'm really thinking about this. This has to be the most sports episodes we've done in a single season or in, in a single I, year, um, spanning a couple seasons. Correct. I believe so. If you include the trivia episode and everything, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So we've done a lot of sports recently and that's fine. Like it's totally good. I, we love talking about sports. Um, and you know, it's coming at a good time. Baseball season's wrap, starting to wrap up. We're getting in the home stretch here. Football seasons, both college and pro football season are right around the corner. In fact, we have college, we have big time college football games this weekend. Uh, so that's exciting. Um, oh, so yeah. yeah, good time for a sports episode. And because we love doing our sports trivia episodes so much, we've worked in some trivia, uh, throughout this episode. Uh, so Chubba, why don't we, why don't we start it off? Um, how about I'll throw my trivia question uh, to start this sports episode off, you know, to you first. Sounds good. All right. <clears throat> this is, uh, of, this concerns a recent milestone. Uh, Miguel Cabrera recently hit his 500th home run, becoming the 28th player in the history of baseball to do so. Now, Miggy and 17 other members of the 500 home run club have failed to do what in terms of hitting home runs? So there's there's an instance where where 18 players of the 500 home run club have not hit a home run. What is that instant instance? The instance where these guys have not hit a home run. Yep. Wow. We're, um, talk, we're talking like, almost like 8,000 combined home runs between these guys, and not one time do they hit a home run in this situation. Oh, a game winning home run. Is that your final answer? That is. That is incorrect. Oh God! Okay. In fact, it seems in fact, like it was going there. In <laughs> fact, Miguel Cabrera's first home run in his career was a walk off. Probably um, that, that is something that would happen to me on this one. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, no, but uh, so Miguel Cabrera and the seven, I didn't look up the seventeen specifically, but the other seventeen members have never hit a pinch hit home run. Oh, interesting. Which makes sense because if you hit five hundred home yeah. runs, you're probably not pinch hitting a lot. You're probably playing every single day. Yeah, your regular part of the lineup and everything. Yeah, that's right. No, that's a really good one. I didn't think about that. I would have thought I went for the game winner because it seemed like one of those um, really random ass things that seventeen people might you know have not done or whatever. But pinch hitting really makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. the The guy with the most though is Mel Ott has sixteen pinch hit home runs of his five hundred and twenty some. I can't remember exact number. But 16 of them were pinch hit home runs, which is, again, like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, that's one of those things I'd have to, like, really, like, dig into to see if that's when he was older or he was a lot younger. You know what I mean? Like, it's clearly not in the middle of his prime, so. Yeah, definitely. Wow, that's really, that's a cool, that's a cool little factoid. I like that. There you go. It, it, Miguel, Miguel Cabrera is kind of a trivia machine on his own, so. Um, <laughs> how about you? Throw, throw, me a, throw me a trivia question out here. Okay, so my trivia question, we're going to focus on Lee Corso, the ESPN analyst who does all the hats and all that stuff for college Not so fast, my friend. Right, that guy, yes. (laughs) So he was a college football player, believe it or not. He played at Florida State from 1953 to 1957. And the trivia question that I have for you is there is another famous person who was a part of this Florida State football team that was also his roommate, 
Who was it? And I'm going to give you a hint. And it's you know this guy, but you don't know him for football. 19. Oh, um, Burt Reynolds. Yep. Yep. It is Burt Reynolds. Yep. All the way, dude. Yeah, yeah I, I was. I, I, I just. I'm trying to. I was trying to think of the, the era, and I was like, I know that. Like, it was one of those things. I'm like, it's got to be an actor. Just yeah, going back to that. Yeah, Burt Reynolds did not know he was he he was roommates with Lee Corso. That's fucking amazing. Yeah, I did not know that either. I learned that today. And he was um, Corso was also roommates with um, at one point in time this guy Fraser, who a baseball player. It's escaping me what he was um, what he had done. He's like a pitching coach or something for I think Cincinnati. So yeah, Lee Corso had himself some um, you know sports celebrity roommateage in college. That's that, that's pretty tremendous. That's really tremendous, actually. Do you want my favorite bit of Lee Corso trivia? Oh, lay it on me. So it was in when he coached Indiana. I want to say it was in the seventies, and in in the second quarter of the game, second quarter, yeah, second quarter of the game, Indiana went up on Ohio State seven to six. So Lee Corso called a timeout. And had the entire Indiana team pose in front of the scoreboard that said Indiana seven, Ohio State six, um, mm-hmm. knowing full well that like that's that's the only time that they were going to be up on Ohio State. And sure yeah. enough, they lost the game forty-seven to seven. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. That is absolutely great. I'm not going to lie. Like, there's got is so. I'm assuming, is there a picture of that somewhere? There, oh, there, there is. Players? Look up just just like if you do quick Google Lee Corso Indiana, it's like one of the first. It's one of the first pictures you'll find. Okay, gotcha. I'm going to check that out really quick. Yeah, I was, dude, I did not know that. And, like, I love stupid little um, stuff about, like, people in college and their roommates and everything like that. And, um, yeah, that, let me see here. I'm looking at this photograph right now. And, yep, oh, wow, yep, that's the first thing that comes up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty great, pretty great. That is great, yeah. And, wow, dude, those old Indiana helmets are pretty fucking baller, dude. Aren't I they? like those. They're good. Yeah, I really, good. I like those a lot, all right, now we're gonna we're gonna be doing sports trivia throughout it. As I said, we're not keeping score. This is just for not like the last time we did. We're just kind of doing it for fun. But we're gonna talk some actual sports stuff in between. And in fact, let's start it off here with I'm just calling this big sports news. Uh, we're just gonna throw out a topic, uh, you know, a national level sports topic. Maybe that was on uh, that's you know a lot of people are talking about. And we're gonna kick it around too. So, um, Cheva, why don't you start off with your national sports topic here that we're gonna talk about? Oh, I'm very excited about this. Sort of, I and mean, we'll. I'll explain as we go along. Mm. The Big Ten, the Pac-12, the ACC, this alliance, sort of, whatever quote, you want to quote, call it. Quote, unquote. Yeah, there's some great, there's some stuff here that really bugs me, but right now I want to focus on some positives, and I'll get to the stuff that bothers me. And Okay, for starters, if this thing goes down the way that I think they're framing it, this is going to be amazing, okay? Like, I am so into the idea of West Coast versus East Coast, West Coast versus Midwest, uh, Midwest versus East Coast, football games, these teams, like Oregon playing Ohio State, which I know they're doing this year, but like imagine that being like a more regular thing. I think that's great. Okay, now I don't know how regular it could possibly be. I, I have no idea how these schedules would work, but the idea of bringing the West Coast teams to play the historic teams of the Midwest, like the Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State's, this is could be one of the greatest things to happen to college football. And I'm going to do my um, yearly, maybe bi-yearly uh, phrase where West the sports sports are better in general 
when the West Coast is relevant. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that this type of situation to really garner awesome and cool new West Coast, East Coast, Midwest rivalries, and then also rekindling some of the great rivalries from the past, like the Ohio State USC, which was like, which is like a big 60s when they did the national title. 60s and 70s, yeah. 60s 70s and like even like there was this period back-to-back years in the early 2000s where ohio state and usc played each other back-to-back mm-hmm. um and i know that they met again in a bowl game recently but like that to me is like that's a huge awesome historic college football rivalry that could become a regular thing and even dude like ohio state clemson could become a regular thing ohio state florida state could become a regular thing when florida state's relevant and stuff and i think that this is great we're finally it's like finally like you know we talked about the idea of the mega conference well it's not we're yeah, getting closer not, to my idea Gemma. yeah i know dude and like i was a full endorser of your idea and for until they move to that what's going on now with Um, Oklahoma and Texas leaving the Big 12 to go to the SEC, this 41-team alliance. These are just all of the right things um, for the sport. I think these are all great decisions. However, what really really (laughs) bugs me about this is that they use these phrases like handshake deals. You know, we talked, we got to an understanding, and it's like, look – for starters, if you don't have anything written down in paper, it might as well be fucking bullshit, okay? Mm-hmm. Because not only did they not draft any type of documentation to, like, formalize this, th- there's no real detail into it. It's it's almost just like – and, like, some people may have this opinion. I've heard, like, sort of what I'm about to say being thrown around where – they just basically did stuff to counter the SEC's move and to maybe drive a giant wedge in the formation of any other mega conferences that may have been brewing. However, without any legal documents, they they just basically just got the public like thinking something. There's mm-hmm. nothing that's actually done. And what they didn't do, which is vital to this whole thing, until you know because like they say they want to start scheduling whenever these contract agreements and everything are up you know and they're, like they're <laughs> it's dude it's a long time yeah, <laughs> yeah. who knows time. when that's going to be and then who's to also say that in between that time the big Ten or the acc starts getting a little itchy because hey it's 2025 and texas and oklahoma are already in the acc and stuff. there's only four college football seasons away that's like no that's quinn ewers might even still be at ohio state when texas and oklahoma join the um join the uh the sec and stuff so who's to say that in that time period the acc or the big 10 or the pac-12 just don't start getting itchy trigger fingers and then start like poaching other teams Mm -hmm. um there could be like you know other mergers and it could basically just light the original deal on fire so while what they pitched was like every single thing that I think I've been wanting from college football for the longest time, there's no substance to reinforce like their message. And I, I'm going to venture a guess and say that like, whenever these wheels start to get put into motion, things are going to look a lot different than the way that they described them this week. And, Mm -hmm. and like, I guess I just there's sometimes where like I get certain publicity things, you know, like I I understand somebody, a publicist or somebody trying to get in front of something, trying to lay a narrative out for the public in certain instances. I understand that. 
But when it comes to something like this, I just expected a little bit more substance behind the things and the ideas that they pitched. I, I totally, yeah, I totally get what you're saying in terms of like wanting more, but I'm sure between television contracts and like scheduling um, agreements, they like, they can't commit to anything. Like probably for like, probably in some yeah. cases, probably for like five to eight years, they probably can't commit to anything, um, which is really fucking annoying. Uh, but, but like, and you know it's funny. I, uh, someone on the radio described the the, the the press conference, whatever, where they announced this is. Well, it was kind of it was kind of like an event where they just put all the logos in one screen, and then <laughs> like that's pretty much what happened. And like that is kind of it almost almost the kind of the same way you hear like whenever someone talks like in Silicon Valley when they talk about tech startups and the way they mm-hmm. advertise themselves and it's a lot of just like it's a lot of jargon that's not even about like what the company does. That's right. kind of what the press. It's kind of what this feels like in the same way, like almost like if like if you heard like the terms like if you heard like synergy, come out of it like you wouldn't be shocked yeah. like it's just the corporate nonsense <laughs> right. jargon. Um, yeah, but but at the same time, I do think this is at least you know one one part publicity for like the fact that like hey don't forget about us we still exist too, um, but also maybe like the, maybe there is some actual substance to what they're talking about. Because in the in the future, I mean, the SEC is going to have what sixteen teams when mm-hmm. o- Oklahoma and Texas join. But yeah. what's what's stopping from a few more from falling in place? You know what I mean? Like right. until like they have twenty teams. Um, I mean, they are like we always talk about this, like how the Big Ten is the Big Ten is like the more important conference in terms of its TV its TV footprint and a lot of its money. But in terms of football and publicity about your program, SEC by far. Yeah, it, right. It just it's not even close. It's the SEC by far. Um, so why wouldn't you want to be a part of it? However, th- there these other conferences. You're right. They have to do something sort of now to make an agreement where like we're not basically we're not going to join a league. We're just going to make sure that like we all stay sort of intact. And if that means that mm-hmm. we have to play each other, which would be great because that means that's an improvement over like that, yeah. that means I don't have to see you know we don't have to see these like. These random like early games where Ohio State gets Akron or um, you mm-hmm. know Michigan's Michigan's playing Appalachian State like early season game Michigan takes on Oregon fucking great right great yeah. that's that's exactly what I want um, so like yeah I, I feel like this feels like it's sort of almost like a like a handshake agreement to revisit this in a couple of years to yeah. to look at something more permanent what will make this what would what would really hasten this and make this come true faster. If they can fucking convince Notre Dame to join the big time. Yeah, I know. Like, Notre Dame, it's time. This whole independent thing, just not a fucking chance. And you got to think about it. Like, if they – so let's just say that there is this big, crazy alliance. So, like, let's go, you know, 2028 or whatever. So we're into the future. There's this great alliance. The SEC has had um, Texas and Oklahoma for a couple years now, so its strength is huge. And, let's, you know, who's to say that more teams don't jump on there? If you're Notre Dame, like I think you're going to have a really difficult time making arguments as far as things like the college football playoff and stuff like that. If it's still the four teams, mm-hmm. because you're going to have um, you're going to have Pac-12 teams that are seeing regular competition. And if Oregon, USC, Washington, if these teams like two of them do really, really good and there's SEC teams or and Big Ten teams like Notre Dame is going to find themselves like I think struggling to catch up and the way that they are now is an independent, like 
yeah, you know, whatever. But at the same time, like they, they should be a part of a conference. And that is going to be one thing that I think ensures a better product of college football is when they enter into um, a conference and they start to they start to build more like legitimate rivalries beyond like the USC because they don't, they don't, they're not playing Michigan regularly anymore. So like Mm -hmm. beyond the USC thing, like no one gives a shit about their Boston college rivalry, you know? So like, I think that they're in a position to really like almost like redefine their program and kind of do a lot with it. But there's just this whole stubbornness thing of this independent. Like they're, I think that they're still too set on it being a good thing because NBC pays them a lot of money. To, yeah, that's that's yeah. a big part of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, and the I just think that like in the future they might still be able to able to get that deal, but be a part of a conference. Like, it's going to be Notre Dame football. You mean to tell me that no one's going to be wanting to pay them money? They're going to get paid. Mm-hmm. And like, and dude, they could have a a, a big pack ACC network thing with all kinds of crazy deals. I mean, the possibilities are endless here for this new conference. And um. They're, they could end up being missing out. You know what I'm saying? They yeah. could be missing out yeah. on more money. They could be missing out on playing the the better teams. They could be missing out on like establishing their program as like a definitive dominant program in um, the country. You know, if they if they can get that far, I don't know if Jack Cohn's going to take them there this year. But we'll, <laughs> see, we'll, see, we'll see. So, my my lasting my lasting memory of Jack Cohn is the last pass that he tried to throw for Wisconsin when he got fucking annihilated. On the sidelines by I can't remember what it was an Ohio State linebacker fucking killed him. Yeah, that's the, that's yeah, the last my, thing I remember about Jack Cohn. And Notre Dame's like, bring him on, baby. Yep, I know. <laughs> like my my memory is him running into the end zone when like there was that point in time when it almost looked like Wisconsin was going to win that game, and he's doing this happy dance with that dumb fucking mug, and then they just get blown to shit yep. in the next in the second half. Like, yeah. So like, there's. <laughs> I love taking any opportunity we can to poke a little fun at the uh, Jack Cone. Absolutely. But like either, but, but like when it, when it comes down to it, um, I, this is the future. These mega conferences seem to be the, the trend of the near future and Notre Dame better jump on this train before they start missing out on real opportunities. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, they were in a conference last year and did, I don't recall touchdown Jesus suffering from stigmata. So right. <laughs> I think they'll be okay. Last time I checked, their basketball teams, their baseball teams, their hockey team are all in conferences. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> Just is did something like what makes the football team immune other than NBC's money? Nothing else. That's exactly right, dude. For sure. Ridiculous. <laughs> so, so what about you? What is your um, national sports news uh, topic? All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about uh, last month's uh, last month's MLB's Field of Dreams game uh, that took place in Dyersville, Iowa, at the essentially next to where they filmed the movie Field of Dreams. Um, dude, I loved the concept, and I think the execution of the game was really good. Like, I don't know if you mm-hmm. saw any of it, but like, you, you know, they had James Earl Jones provide all the narration for this for the for the intros and everything else, which was fantastic. Wish he could have been there, but I'm pretty sure James Earl Jones is like 90. Um, right. Probably hard to get. I'm assuming he's about that old now. Probably hard to get him to you know do things in public at this point. Um, but you know they have James Earl Jones doing the narration. Pretty cool to have Kevin Costner come out of the cornfields and lead the players out of the cornfields in their in their old school classic like 1920 style uniforms. It was great, and the game was yep. great. Home runs, you know, hitting in the cornfields, the walk off home run to win the game. It was 
it was fantastic. It really was like a big, you know, it really was like a big um, success for Major League Baseball. Um, my problem is that I feared that sooner rather than later, it's going to get stale. Um, they're going to do it again next year with the Cubs and the Reds. And that feels, that feels pretty good too, right? Like those, you know, mm-hmm. two old teams, old school teams playing out in the Midwest feels, feels about right. But I just think that like, you can't, you know, like, are we going to get to the point where like, it's the Miami Marlins and, um, and the Seattle Mariners playing in a cornfield? Like that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Right. So they need to figure out a way to change it up a little bit after I'm, I'm going to say like after next season, they need to change it up. So I do have a couple ideas of how you can kind of, especially like in maybe the first one after, after the Iowa cornfields, if you want to keep like a classic movie tie-in, why don't we find an old Sandlot park in a suburban Los Angeles neighborhood and do Sandlot? Have a Sandlot yep. style game. I mean, there's got to be some, Chumma, there has to be some neighborhoods in Los Angeles where, where Major League Baseball could take over for a weekend, right? has to be oh yeah do there are these fields that are um down the street from us about five miles the neighborhood is escaping me but you literally drive to like a top of a mountain and there's a baseball field and stuff right it's awesome go go old school with it have you know have the uh have both la teams have the have the have the you know the freeway series uh dodgers mm-hmm. and angels play each other in their classic more you know more classic 60s uniforms if you want to you know if you want to keep that movie tie-in have the fucking kids come back and like take their positions on the field yeah. before you know before you know as the game's starting um, you know, you could make a whole big deal out of it. And I guarantee you, especially for people our age, that would be fucking catnip to watch baseball. Because people our age yes. love... I'm not even that big of a Sandlot fan. And I still, like, if I find it on TBS or something, I end up sitting down to watch it. Like, Oh, yeah. You get lost in that. I know what you mean, dude. Yep. Definitely. Yep. So it's one of those movies. Um, so then, season after that, you want to... There's there's a big push. Uh, I know CC Sabathia has been out and about... A lot recently, uh, making a push. Like he was actually just in Cleveland. They they dedicated a field uh, uh, in Cleveland to him, you know, in his name or whatever. Um, but CC's been out in front and making a big push to make sure that more African American kids are getting involved in baseball. Um, so why don't we do one in an urban setting? Set it in the Bronx in an, in a mm-hmm. in a, like a more urban in a ballpark. Retrofit an old urban field. Make sure that the attendants are largely the kids and families from the neighborhoods that can you know that can come participate and watch this game. Like there's, I think there's like an endless amount of possibilities for how you can kind of stylize it to fit what baseball would look like in certain parts of the country. Or you can even just fucking make it up. Dude, go throw a, go throw a beachside field in Miami with like a Caribbean feel to it. Why not? Yeah. Oh, Why not? That would be really, fun. That's a really good idea. Oh my God, that's a good idea, you, dude. You I like pay, that a lot. You want to pay homage to one of, one of baseball, is not major league baseball, but baseball as a sport, one of their better traditions um, have a series in Omaha, the College World Series, and kind of do up the uniforms like they're kind of you know more collegiate style uniforms, and like involve make sure like it involves some like collegiate style flair, tailgates, fight songs, you know all kinds of like cheerleaders and shit, like really go over the top with it. I think that like I think that as long as Major League Baseball isn't just satisfied with going to Iowa, that they have a lot of opportunities to make strides and kind of. Make this like their annual event, but make it have its own like have its own feel year to year instead of just well we're going back to Iowa, which is nothing no disrespect to Iowa because that game was awesome, but just like we can change it year to year and we can kind of give it its own flavor each time. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, dude. I thought the Field of Dreams game was a phenomenal idea and stuff. And like the clips and some of the highlights that I saw online, especially the Kevin Costner and the player stuff, you just can't beat that. Okay. Like that is just a really, that is like when theatricality and sports merged together so perfectly it's like an awesome slam dunk almost Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying like that was really really great and i'm not gonna lie changing it up a little bit is only going to benefit the sport and i keep going back to some of these gimmicks that um have been tried in the past and i don't know if they still do some of these but like they used to play games on like battleships and everything like that and i appreciate it it's a cool thing But you can't really do that every year and expect like the same Mm -hmm. kind of level of interest. And some something like this, I'm almost like, wow, it took you guys this fucking long to think of something like this. (laughs) Right. Something like this. But um, but the but they did, you know, that's just the way stuff works sometimes, you know, but they did, they executed it perfectly. But with some of the challenges that Major League Baseball faces in terms of like, you know, the sport on television hooking in younger audiences and stuff like that, doing the same thing every single year is not going to be a way to hook in the younger audiences. So some of the things that you were talking about, like the Sandlot cut the Sandlot, like, yeah, kids today, I'm assuming are still watching that movie. It is just still so great. And, um, still such a classic movie, a great like sports movie and stuff like that. So something like, so a Sandlot game, I think would score really well. The game in the urban settings and the Caribbean games, these are awesome ways to like, number one, attract a new audience with like urban with urban children and everything like that. And people who may not normally get exposed to baseball. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to lie. The Caribbean thing is just fucking balling. <laughs> like, have I, you, have I saw, you ever seen a Caribbean baseball game? I have. I don't think I have actually. No. You, YouTube one, dude. It's they, It's a party. There is a party and a baseball game is being played in the middle of it. Yeah, dude. Like other countries and stuff like that, like their sports, that's just like what they are. It's just like yeah. rock and fucking parties and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I read this thing about Matt Damon going to a soccer game recently online, just this little like, you know, Instagram gallery and the way he was making it sound like this game in Europe, which is like, you know, goddamn like, you know, chaos and everything and people really getting into it. And like, I got to tell you the party atmosphere, if there is one sport that could definitely benefit from a shot of the party atmosphere it is fucking baseball okay because like it's the sport that is in the summer and you still go to a stadium and park in a parking lot however it's like there's like no tailgating and even if the parking lot allows for it it's still it's not like baseball has like a tailgate scene so they need to do things that i think connect with with the way younger people are and if you're people in Cleveland, like where you spent, you know, if you're 18 years old in the la- or sorry, if you're 21 years old and, you know, the Browns have been really shitty for a lot of your conscious partying period of, uh, you know, like forgot where I was going with that. But long story short, <laughs> they need to make tailgating because that is I, I had this really good thing about young people and age and tailgating and stuff. And but like, yes, they need to like do that stuff to make baseball um, to give the people what they want. And I, am not going to lie. I do think that like the tailgating aspect of football is just so awesome and so cool and such a vital part of the game. I think it's kind of trickled down into other sports and it just sucks that like, you know, there, you can't really tailgate for basketball cause it's a winter sport, mm-hmm. but like you should have a tailgate scene for baseball and doing stuff like, you know, the Caribbean and entering that party atmosphere. Great idea. I think, uh, I think, uh, well, I'm pretty sure Rob Manfred along with obviously Goodell, listens to this podcast so hopefully he gets some of these ideas 
Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, somebody out there is listening to it because there's it's, a lot of things that just, just happen here right around the time we talk about them. So whoever you are, you know, please, here's another couple good ideas. Exactly. Exactly. Um, out, of, out of curiosity, did you have another one just in case we had like an overlapping idea? I, the only thing that I was thinking about was I, I figured it was yours was going to be baseball related. And the topic that I was going to talk about was just the discussion that I've heard a lot of um, on the radio recently about people, uh, coaches, like this divide of younger coaches not really playing the players in preseason games and the older coaches um, playing them. And I, um, you know, I, I thought that there was some interesting conversation that was had about this throughout the radio this week. So that was something that I was going to okay, talk gotcha, about. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I... My own, okay, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, my own, personal two stance, my own personal two-sentence stance on that is like, I don't want the fucking players hurt in the preseason. So if Baker and Nip Chubb need to sit down for a couple games and Miles Garrett, I'm all for it. Dude. it I don't want to take any risks. I, 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 tr- I trust, especially after a really good season under Stefanski, if Stefanski says they're ready, then they're ready. Like, mm-hmm. then I don't need to see them at all. Yeah, dude, I caught a little bit of the, the coach's show. He does the coach's show on Thursday nights, mm-hmm. or just some special show. And uh, Stefanski was a part of it. He yeah. called in, they asked him some questions, and they asked him about this. And he says, like, look, you know, like there are people out there that, that I trust, and we looked at the science, and this is a decision that I'm making, and I'm going to continue to reevaluate it. And if it's something that the people that I, that I trust that I go to maybe recommend next year, then we'll do it. And it's like – and it's like, God damn it, we couldn't have had this guy like five years ago. I know. Like, I know. <laughs> it's like, son of a bitch. I know. Um, no, yeah. But he's, he's, I trust him. That's, ba- that's where it basically falls on. I trust him. So yeah. if he says they're ready, they're yeah. ready. Um, I was, if, he, if for some reason we had the same Field of Dreams idea there, I was just briefly going to talk about Trevor Bauer and how it turns out he is oh, the huge yeah. piece of shit that we thought he was. Um, oh, yeah, I know. And there's probably, and probably like because he was one of our guys for a while we were sort of defending him, but like he has made it clear through his Twitter, through interviews. He hates women. Like he hates women. Um, he, like I just specifically remember like him harassing this like 18 year old girl on Instagram for like fucking three months, like calling her a piece of shit and stuff. Like he hates women. So like none of this is like particularly surprising that like his sexual encounters with women are him beating them. Um, but, like, it's just sort of, it's just one of those things, like, we, we like, over the years heard things about him, even from, like, his own teammates that, like, like whatever, this guy's fucking weird. And now, like, and now, like, when, when I hear that the entire Los Angeles Dodgers team is, like, guilty or not, we don't want him back at all. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's a very, like, that's a very damning final nail in this coffin of Trevor Bauer. I hope he never pitches again. Yeah, he's turned out to be quite different than I had originally um, viewed him from when he was with the Indians. And now that some of this stuff has come to light, you know, and especially the stuff with the team, not wanting him back, just even looking at him has completely like changed my opinion of him. Like I just see him and I just see a creep asshole and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And somebody like a total outright women, woman hater and stuff like that. And it's weird because like never really saw that before. Like I never ever really saw that before like you know he, he always had that really younger kind of face and stuff and he's kind of like he looks like a littler dude to, to me anyway oh, he's not, not he's like a big a, guy is he a big dude he's okay like, like, he's like 6'3 220 pounds or something okay for some reason I, like six, the, two, I don't, everybody I mean, he's a big guy okay like everybody look for some reason everybody looks like a little dude to me and stuff sometimes well, you're seven but, like, three chema 
yeah, it's such a fucking length that I am, you know? <laughs> and uh, like, so when I was seeing him, like, I just never saw that before. And like, some of these new things, it's just completely like I look at him and just even the sight of him is a completely different experience than it was before. He, he like, like, again, I just like when he was in Cleveland, even when he was in Cincinnati, oddball, kind of like a person that like I, I wouldn't necessarily want to be like trapped in a conversation with because it's probably going to be fucking weird. Um, and now, like, like I see him now and I just see a fucking villain, like a legitimate villain. Yeah. It's like that smile is just like this menacing mm-hmm. smile and that stupid fucking beard he has going oh, it's on. Awful. Like, it's awful. Oh, I, yeah, it's just, yeah, the beard thing doesn't help his cause as far as like the image, go, the image no. goes and everything. Like, God, I hate that thing so much. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, Trevor Bauer, total cre- total don't want to see ass. him play baseball over again. Sorry, bud. You, uh, you're, I mean, <laughs> I, like, have a feeling there, there's never going to be charges against him. I just have this, that feeling. But, like, mm-hmm. boy, like, I can't – some team eventually will, but, like, I, I really hope the Dodgers kind of live up to, like, at least what the players want. And, and they're just like, sorry, dude, you're out of here. Like, we don't care. We don't care if we have to eat this contract. You're out of here. Yeah, I, that's just a good move for the team. And, like, in certain areas of the country – Maybe that might fly, but it's definitely not flying out here in L.A. Yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. He's he's not going to come back. Not a no. chance. All right. Uh, before we move into the local sports stuff, let's uh, let's go with our second trivia question. Well, how about you uh, start this one off, Chema? All right. I have a feeling you're going to know this one. Okay. So in 1997, Ken Griffey Jr. was the Major League Baseball Most Valuable Player, the MVP. Who was the MVP in 96 and in 98? In 96 and in 98? Yep. Was it also Ken Griffey Jr.? It was not, but Ooh. it was the same guy. Um, 97, 96 and 98 in the, in the American League. Oh, fuck. Um, boy, Chum, I don't remember. Uh, who was it? Juan Gonzalez. Juan Gon, fucking a, of course, of course, he had a yeah. he had a great ninety six and a great ninety eight. He did. He was the it was the most valuable ninety six and ninety eight of any other player. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, I, I mean, like, I feel like in ninety one of those seasons was it was like he had like a hundred and like sixty some RBIs or something. I feel like, like, I, I mean, and it was like those last seasons in Texas were like his last like good seasons. Yeah. Before yeah, he, before you. he had before he had one last good season in Cleveland. Oh yeah, that's right. He was on the Indians. Yeah. That's right. Holy shit. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, um, I was kind of like surprised by the statistic because like I thought Griffey just kind of owned that chunk in time, but to have a repeat MVP, I thought was very interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's um, boy, it, it's funny that like I, I could, you know, it's weird because I could have sworn that like Griffey won a couple like right in a row, but I could, be, you know, I'm probably thinking of Bonds um, more than likely. But, um, no, like, Juan Gon, like, man, he's got, like, boy, he, he really just missed out on being a Hall of Famer. Um, like, he is, he is so very close. Like, I'm just, I'm looking at him right, looking him up right now. Yeah, in 98, he drove in 157 runs. That's almost a run a game. 96, drove in 144. Um, somehow, in 97, he finished ninth in MVP voting, despite hitting 42 runs and driving in 131. There are eight besides Griffey. There are seven other guys that were better than him. Really? 
Was um, Albert was Albert Bell one of them, or any of the Indians? Pro- I, I would assume. I would assume Albert Bell in the, during that time stretch. Probably Tommy actually that year. Um, but yeah, so two thousand one was his last like real, um, his last like full season as like Juan as like the Juan gone. Um, he finished fifth mm-hmm. in MVP voting. Um, was an All Star, won a Silver Slugger, hit thirty five home runs, drove in one hundred and forty, hit three twenty five, and then he went back to Texas for a couple injury plague years. Then he came back to Cleveland, played in, literally had one at bat, grounded out to third, went running down to first base and tore his hamstring, and that was it. Ooh, that fucking sucks, dude. That, that's how like, his career ended. I really, like, we were talking about injuries and stuff last time around. Like, baseball injuries just seem to, like, stick even more because it's not it's not like a super contact sport like football, you know, and, like, even, even so much in basketball, but just, like, to be running down into your hamstring like that, that's brutal. Yeah, it sucks, especially when you're – I mean, he, he was 35 at that point. That's – you're – I mean, you might recover from it, but like when, <laughs> like, yeah, it's going to be a long, long time. His, his 162 game average, despite some seasons where he's injured and didn't play a lot. It's 162 game average, 42, home, 42 home runs, 135 RBIs. That ain't bad, dude. That is pretty damn good. I can't believe he's not in the hall of fame. No shit. All right. All right. I got, I got one here. That's, it's a little bit of a trick question. Okay. So if you don't get it right, don't stress about it too much, but it's hysterical. Um, Jerry Rice holds the record for most receiving yards after the age of 40 with 2,509. Who is second and who is last? Okay, it's after 40, you said? After 40. Okay, so the second person... Um, Randy Moss being the second one? That's incorrect. Um, okay. Randy Moss didn't play till 40. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Um, I'll give you one last... more guess because you're not, there's no way you're going to get this. It's bizarre. That's why I picked it. Wow. Um, yeah, I am like, I'm like really freaking uh, struggling here to think about this. Like, uh, Gronk? Like, you know, Gronk's not, Gronk's like barely 30 in his 30s. Uh, Damn, I'm like totally drawing a blank on this. Um, let, let me come in here because literally you're not going to get this. Yeah, um, I know I'm not. No, like there's only there's only like a few receivers in the history of the NFL that have even caught a pass after the age of forty. Um, okay, but and here's why this is relevant because in second place with six receiving yards is Tom Brady. No shit. Yes. Wow. Wow. <laughs> So Tom Brady's only 2,503 yards behind Jerry Rice uh, for that particular yeah. record. Um, and here's why I asked who's last. There's a there's a slew of guys who have caught a pass that went for no yards. And there's okay. one person who caught a pass that went for negative two yards. Oh, interesting. Who is the negative two? Also Tom Brady? <laughs> Brett Favre. Favre? No shit. Yep. Wow. Holy Christ. Like, yeah, it's crazy that it's quarterbacks, number one, and then Brett Favre catching a negative two-yard pass. That's I, I think incredible. I think the thing with – I couldn't find – I couldn't confirm this exactly, but I think the the pass that puts Brett Favre on, on the, in the record books, um, it's also it – also, it also holds the record for the longest period in between a, a quarterback and a receiver connecting on a pass. It was – Really? In 1992, Brett Favre threw a pass that got tipped, and he caught. 
So that counts as okay. a catch. In yeah. 2009, Brett Favre caught a pass that he tipped and caught. Okay. So it was 17 yeah. years in between receptions from Brett Favre to, to Brett Favre. Oh, that's very interesting. That's a hell of a interesting statistic right there. That's, I mean, it's barely statistic, but it's like, it exists. It's a thing that really exists. Well, the, but... the, the, the factoid, yeah. That, yeah. Like the, the factoid, yeah. yeah. That is yeah. just insanely interesting that he did it twice. <laughs> but there you go. So it's, so it's Jerry Rice and Tom Brady are your top two receivers after the age of 40. Let him have another record. Let him have a fucking receiving record, you know? <laughs> but no, but it was, it was interesting. There's only like... If, if I'm remembering correctly, I probably should have put like a, a link here just so I could get this exact. I think there's only like four receivers ever in the NFL that have caught a pass after 40. Yeah, I'm telling you, there's just not a lot of um, no one plays longevity. That yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you're lucky. You're lucky if you're in the NFL and you're still in your even like late 20s, early 30s, right. and stuff. But to but and like for a receiver and everything, it would just you know because of speed and everything like that, just to even be. <laughs> Catching passes in 40 is an accomplishment. That that just shows you how Jerry Rice, how good Jerry Rice still was. Like at the 40, 41, yeah. 42, he, he had tallied 2,500 receiving yards. Yeah, dude, like his receiving yard statistics, I saw this like pyramid not that long ago. Like he is at the top and like the next two, it might be like Larry Fitzgerald or something is like long behind him. Oh, it's, way it's behind. It's not like, it's not like he has 20,000 and Larry Fitzgerald's got like 19,999. Like he's got, there's a gap between mm-hmm. those two. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a yeah. He there's that's like one of my favorite things about like looking the sports trivia stuff up. Like you find like a like a little like a little nugget like that, and there's like twenty more behind it. We were like, holy shit, Jerry Rice did what? Jerry Rice caught a pass, in, right? Like, Jerry Rice caught a pass in like two hundred and like forty consecutive games or something. My God, that's insane. Like that, even if it's just even one playing two hundred forty, right? Playing exactly, two hundred forty consecutive games is amazing. Right, exactly. All right, so there you go. Anyway, that, that dude's a stud. That dude is just like a fucking stud. He could. He's one of those. He's one of those people you know. Right now, he could go out, run one quick little five yard out, and still like catch a pass and like go down and, get, and yep. like you know what I mean. Like he can still do it. Oh, him! Him versus prime time would even today would still be an amazing uh, receiver cornerback mm-hmm. battle. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, let's move on. The little local sports. We'll uh, we'll start off with the Cavaliers, Chema. Um, since uh, you know we're. <clears throat> you know, not that far removed from the NBA draft. So just your general feeling, Evan Mobley was our only draft pick this year. Um, so you're just your general feeling on Evan Mobley coming to Cleveland. Very excited about it, dude. Very, very excited about it. Um, the excitement starts on draft night where we had the number three pick and actually drafted somebody that like people thought we were going to draft or that should be drafted high. Like, mm-hmm. It's not like we had the Anthony Bennett year and even um, Isaiah Okoro last year. Kind of Isaac Okoro. Surprise. Isaac Okoro. Thank you. Isaac a, Okoro. a little bit so, of surprise, but it was, he was in that nebulous spot where like he's outside of the top three best players. Yeah. There's yeah, yes. it, what it, that last year's draft was one of those drafts. I gotcha. I gotcha. And like, it, but for some reason I, it still took me a little bit by surprise and everything. And this one, it's almost like they did what they were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And if they, if they could, they was like, there was basically only three people up for debate in the top three with uh, Cunningham, Suggs, and Mobley. These were pretty much the unanimous top three amongst most uh, mock drafts and stuff. A couple and outliers. Jalen Green, there. too. Jalen, yeah, Jalen Green was like rotating um, in and out of the top three in a lot mm-hmm. of the mock drafts that I saw. But a, a majority of the mock drafts had these three guys at, in, in the top three. And 
we not only got one of the top three picks, but we got a seven footer. We got a, we didn't get a shack. We got like a, like a next Kevin Durant type, a guy who's got two inches on Kevin Durant. That's, that's what I see like Mm -hmm. body wise and stuff. And hopefully he develops to become that. And the Cavs have five really good years before he goes to the Lakers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, it's, like I'm really excited too because this is in in most years it's it's not we're not like you, you, like the pundits aren't exaggerating when they say that in a lot of years Evan Mobley would be the number one pick if Cade Cunningham wasn't in the draft if Jalen Suggs or Jalen Green weren't in the draft like this is a number one overall pick you don't find mm-hmm. many seven footers who can run the floor play defense can shoot from the mid range have nice touch can ball handle like they're just like you. Kevin Durant's a decent comparison. He'll still be significantly closer to the basket um, in, in terms of how he plays. Uh, but mm-hmm. Kevin Durant's a decent comparison because, like, that's, like, the closest we have to... Yeah. There aren't many seven-footers or even guys who are 6'10", 6'11", who can handle the ball, who can move the ball. He's a good. He's a pretty solid passer. Um, I, I, think, I think what I'm most excited about now that we have... Between between Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, there's like a there's going to be whether they're on the same court at the same time, probably more of a rotation. But even if they're even if they're not on the court at the same time, we're going to have like someone who can play defense around the rim at all times. And mm-hmm. when you when you have guards who aren't the best defenders, like in the case of Darius Garland, in the case of Colin Sexton's probably a very average you know on ball defender, you need someone back there to clean up messes. Like someone has to right. be there. And that's just going to be a constant. And, like, I think because that's sort of already, like, that's already, de- not maybe not totally developed, he can still develop more. And obviously he's going to have to get bigger, a little bit bigger and stronger. But because, like, that's, like, sort of his, um, what he kind of is, is coming to the NBA with it that's, like, already ready. Then, like, who can, like, we'll, we'll worry about your offense later. Which is not bad. It's just, you know, offense always needs work. Look at, look at Giannis. How long it yeah. took him to become offensively skilled. Um, we're not, I, like, he's in a great position, well, he, we're in a great position because we needed him, he's in a great position because I don't think we're going to ask, we're not like, hey, by the way, you're our number one option on everything. Like, I, I think he's probably more like three or four. Yeah, I think that he comes in at a right point in time, like, the team is not necessarily, like, the best team in the NBA, but it's a team of established players, like, he's going to go into a starting situation where, um, you know, the guys around him have been on the team for a while. There's some chemistry there. There's there's some veteranship there. He's not going on the floor with like all rookies mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And this is really coming in at a great point in time because he could really like develop with people that are sort of in like his same age bracket too. So if he stays around and if this core grows and they grow together, we could be looking at something, you know, maybe not ultra, ultra special, but something that's going to like turn some heads and get some attention in the NBA here in the next couple of years. I hope so. I hope so. So this is, this has been a thing. I don't know if you've, I don't know being out in LA, LA, if you've followed some of the, the pundits, there's like this vocal faction that are like, well, if, you know, if the, um, if had the, let's just say the Cavs had, had drafted Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs, there's a, there's a bunch of the pundits were like, okay, so then you trade Darius Garland or, or, um, or, or you, uh, or you trade Sexton and, or Isaac Okoro. I'm like, well, why? Um, and now that we have, you know, now that we obviously got Evan Mobley, there's some people talking about like, okay, so where do you move Jared Allen? Are you like, are you in this segment or are you in this crew or like, do you not understand it? Like, I don't understand it. 
like personally, I don't understand it because I want the second coming of the twin towers and stuff here. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I, me being a bigger dude and stuff, like when I played basketball, I was, I was always in the paint and everything. And I've just naturally appreciate that element of the game and these big ass dudes being on the court and stuff. And like, I also hear the small ball argument and stuff. And it's like, Oh, well, you know, why have these big guys when all these people are shooting threes, but still it's basketball, you know, it's a, it's a fucking basketball. And I think that having guys with size and having a, a dude like Mobley, who's got size and a dude like Allen, who's got size, but he's got it in a different way that you want this on the team. Like there's no reason for you just to have like one seven footer. There's no rules or laws or regulations that say you have to have that. So freaking have them both and put them on the court at the same time and stuff. If you're in the, if there's points in time in the game where like you need defense, you need a presence around the rim, put them both in. Like it's a stupid idea to like have that kind of size and waste it. Like they, they don't need to trade anybody here right now. Number one, like I don't know who's who they're going to trade for. That might even get that return value. And who like which superstars, which stars are going to want to come to Cleveland? Like they didn't want to come to Cleveland when LeBron is here. And like what all of a sudden, like are, are we going to do some crazy twisted deal to bring Ben Simmons here? I don't think so. And like we're not going to get anybody regularly. So let's have what we have now. We got a vital piece in the draft. We had a great, great draft with this Mobley thing. So let's let it fly. You know, we are a different team now. This is not this guys like Mobley. It's not the same fucking team as it was last year. It's not like we just got another guard. We got a seven footer who can like actually do stuff. So let's actually do some stuff. I Yes, I even without like the like the idea of wanting a Twin Towers. I, I just like I, I'm sitting here thinking like, oh, so we're only allowed to play five guys. That's why we have to trade people. There's only five guys allowed on the court at any any point in time. Oh, wait, we can substitute people? You mean there's minutes that go around with every team? I right. I don't understand why, especially where the Cavs are in their, what's now becoming an extended rebuild, um, I don't understand like why people think that, like especially these pundits, why wouldn't you want more talent on your team? We need to, we need to figure some things out. I would rather have, even, let's, let's just say like they drafted Jalen Suggs. Um, there was a lot of talk about which which guard do you move? Do you like Sexton or, or Garland better, or or do you even consider moving a Coro since he's sort of he's a bigger wing, but I mean he's essentially a guard, even though we, we play him at small forward. Um, and I'm just like, well, who the fuck cares? Like you, mm-hmm. we could a you could play all three of those guys, all four of those guys at the same time. Uh, the, the Houston Rockets literally play with like four guards. Um, right, you can have a rotation that involves Suggs and Sexton, Suggs and Garland. Garland and, and Okoro, Garland Okoro, like, there are minutes to go around. And, like, yeah. you bring the talent in, and then if you see, like, let's just say this year, it becomes very apparent that that the Mobley, the Mobley-Jarrett Allen thing doesn't work. And, like, I would, I mean, I would, I hope not. We just signed Jared Allen to, like, a five-year extension. Um, but, like, if it doesn't work, okay, then you you found that out. But you don't, like just trade him just because well we got another guy that's seven feet tall like yeah figure out if it works before you move someone maybe you're right maybe this is like the second coming of like robinson and duncan although i don't think either really that's like a fair one not fair to two guys that have never won anything together two not fair to two guys who like have barely like made an imprint in the nba um but like let's just say they like they become like that sort of that sort of tandem 
Well, we never would have found that out if he fucking traded Jared Allen. No, very true. Yeah, I don't understand the the logic behind trading these people before we can even really see how this whole team is going to function. And it's because Mobley is such a because I'm such on the Mobley train because I believe him to be such a vital piece. There is zero sense in in making any type of major reorganizations unless you're going to be aiming for a superstar player. But once again, who is that going to be? You know, who are they going to be? Or who do we even have left? You know, right. To, to if you, pick from. right. If if you told me today that like, okay, if you if you package Colin Sexton, Jared Allen, and we you'd get back um, Jimmy Butler, yeah, fucking pull the trigger. Let's fucking go. But that's not going to happen. And, like, and even right. and even if you could bring back like a big name, how long are they going to be here? I, I would. We're we're at the point where, and we're gonna get to this question here in a second. We're at the point like, well, for sure, we gotta like, we, you know, like we need to win, but also like we still need to figure out things with how this team is gonna look going forward. And it doesn't make sense to sort of preemptively dismantle it before you even see the pieces pieces in place. That's exactly right. There's no sense in doing that whatsoever, and because you never know, this could end up being the answer. You need to see how this stuff plays out before making super irrational decisions like yeah. that. So let's get to that question. When does winning finally matter for this team? Because if you ask Colby Altman the last couple of years, it's just a lot of players getting better. Um, well, if they're getting better, shouldn't that translate to wins? Right, exactly. The time for winning, I think, was like last year. Now we are in like a where this kind of stuff has to be done. And like I, my personal expectations for the Cavs, like I'm not expecting them to be in the playoffs, but I want them to at least get to the play in tournament. That's where I think that we should be at now. And with um, the wizards, like aren't looking necessarily so hot. The, the who knows if Cunningham is going to be a stud and like the, Detroit gets this little raise or whatever. So they're, they're we're still in a couple position. years off. Don't worry about them. Yeah. So, so like, so now is like the time for them to strike. If we can get the 10 seed and get into the, the play in tournament, I think that that, um, that like will maybe get Kobe Altman a little bit of some like breathing room and maybe alleviate some of the pressure that's been on him after some of these like disastrous press conferences and stuff that he's done. Like I heard one within the last like three months that was just like not all that convincing and stuff. It might've no. been their pitch to the season ticket holders or he's something not, that they did, but he's not good at that part. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. So like I, um, they, the time for, to really make an impact is now you have, what you have with you, you, you got this new star, potential star in Mobley. You have um, Sexton, who's been in the league for a while. He's he's developed a little bit. Garland's been in the league. Uh, Coro's um, on his now his second season with the Cavs and stuff like that. So this is the time. Like if you ever really want to like get um, to get some in some good graces with the fans to maybe like buy yourself some time with the fans. So we're not looking at like the, the calves in like the, the late nineties or whatever, mm-hmm. like the early two thousands, that stuff before LeBron. The pre, yeah. The, the post, the, the post, um, Sean Kemp pre LeBron calves. Yeah, exactly. Like we, we need to, um, not go back there. And this is the season to really, to make that impact. I think that we could do it too. Yeah, it, it has to be this year. I mean, it has to be this year because I'm just going to go ahead and jump into the next question because I agree with you totally. First off, it should be easier to get to a playoff spot this year um, with some teams sort of taking already taking themselves out of contention. But, like, it has to be this year because if they don't, dude, then we're going to see, obviously, coach gone, GM gone, whoever else in that organizational structure gone. Um, and then I think that's when you get to, 
are you going to trade Sexton? Are you going to trade, like, who do you hang on to? It's going to be like a real, not like a total teardown, but there's going to be like a big reorganization of, of both players and coaching staff. And, <clears throat> and rarely does that then the following year make you into a contender. It, it could, right. it just could prolong this rebuild into like five, six, seven years. Yeah, no, that's a really good point, dude, because the, um, the staff that is currently there, they're reaching that threshold where like, yeah, you guys haven't done anything. Now is the time to get rid of you. So like, right. Like if there's, if the product is a losing product this year, those guys are gone. And then what do you do? Like, who are you going to bring in here? That's, that's, that's better. You know, who's going to want to come coach the Cavs and stuff. And I have a feeling that if they were to do that, like to clean house and like to restaff, we're not going to be looking at any like established coaches. Like we're going to be looking at like um, an NBA, a former NBA player who, who like wants to coach or something that's not established. Like, and that might be awesome. Like it would be a, uh, it would totally be awesome to have like a really solid former player turn out to be a good coach. Right. There's like no there's, guarantees for like the last several years. Uh, uh, Jacques Vaughn has been like mentioned as like, a, you know, a, a coaching candidate for like years. And I can't believe he doesn't have a, a coaching job yet, but like that, that feels like, the Cavs would be his first coaching job, which who knows, maybe it works or maybe like a lot of first time coaches, it does it because he's not, he's never done it before. And right, exactly. Hastens again, hastens your rebuild or maybe, or you know, what's worse, what would be even worse is they have another losing season. They fire everybody. Coach comes in here and looks at the players and says, I, I can't run the system with these guys. Yeah. And then, then he has to get rid of players and then, then we're just, even further back. Then it's, then it's even more gutting or it's, it's putting Jared Allen or, or, or Mobley or someone or Sexton or someone in a position like where they're just not good at this. You know, they just can't, right. they can't run the, the system the way he wants to run it or she for that yeah. matter wants to run it. No, that's, that's right. Definitely. No, I gotcha for sure. Yeah. All right, Chema, let's, uh, let's move on to our Cleveland guardians. That's right. The Cleveland guardians. Uh, they're yes. still the Indians for right now, but uh, they'll be changing their name next year to the Guardians. So, I guess just to start off with, like, if not the Guardians, then what? I know people are kind of, some people are kind of, obviously there's a lot of people against the name change, period. But, like, in terms of the people who are fine with the name being changed, it's kind of like, you know, I guess mixed reviews. So, if not the Guardians, then what? Okay, so... Personally, I wanted the Cleveland Baseball Club. I thought that we could have really did something unique there because I just I don't think that the Washington football team is going to continue to do this. They, they released like a list of potential names that they came out with recently, and I, I think that they're going to go with something else. So us being the Cleveland Baseball Club could have been something that was really cool, unique. It, it sounded very professional. It sounded like they can't well, trademark it. They can't trademark it. Okay, you can't trademark gotcha. the words baseball club. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. So that's why. (laughs) Yeah. But but it sucks though. Cause I think that would have been fucking awesome if they, if they did that, you know, that's kind of like what I was, what I was rooting on. And when you hear the guardians up against like the spiders or the buzzards or the umpteen million other like shitty names people thought I I warmed up to the blue Sox. I thought that Mm. was very interesting. Like I warmed up to it like more so than the, the spiders and buzzards. So it sounded better against those names. Um, and in the end, I it's a little like underwhelming when you hear the news. 
And then when you see the logos that they released, it was just kind of like, oh, God, you know, it just like it seemed like they screwed up two things. But in a very, very short period of time, I've I've kind of warmed up to the Guardian's name. The logos and stuff that we've seen are my the jury's still out on that, to, to say the least. I can I can but, tell you right now, um, don't worry, that's not going to matter in like three years. Okay. Okay. It's, they're awesome. not like that's not our logo for the next fifty years. So don't yeah, don't it, worry. Yeah. Yeah. It, like, um, I, I guess like you put those two things together, and it, it just like it was just a lot of dissatisfaction. It was more so the logo than the name, but it's done. And I, since you can't trademark baseball club, like I'm I'm kind of sort of like I'm I'm okay with this, you know. Like I'm glad that it's I'm glad that they dropped the Indians. Um, I'm glad that that is done. Um, and I, dude, honestly, like if you anything beyond Guardians is just like, hey Adam, in your opinion, what do you think sounds better? And I could probably think of things that other people wouldn't like. So this seems to be a a universal kind of like okay name you know what i'm saying yeah. like it's just like if like thank god it's not the spiders or the buzzards or anything worse yeah um I, i'll real quickly I'll, I'll work backwards here so i read an article about um about how about how like trademarking and territorial territorial rights works like with sports and as soon as I was reading this article, they talked about how, like, even even if teams, because there are teams that have similar or the same names, right? Like, how many teams right. are the Wildcats in college football? Like a bunch. Oh yeah, definitely. You know how many there? You know how many teams have like Wolf or Wolves involved in it? Like a lot of them. Um, so the way like this works, like there is like a court process that you have to go through, even if even if like the so like the I think like what was it the Richmond Spiders. I think that's the I think that's the the college that um, I think so. Yeah, Richmond Spiders. They use they use the spiders. Even if Richmond said yes, you can you can use the the term spiders since they are the ones who have like the the you know the trademark on it, the copyright on it, and like other like there's even more that goes into that. But like because they're the ones that have it, even if they agreed to let the Indians be or let the Cleveland let the Indians become the Cleveland Spiders, they still have to go to court for potentially two to three years over mm-hmm. hammering out very specific details about like how it gets used how does how does what the, what does the logo look like like it right. doesn't look too much like ours not you know like whatever as soon as i read that i'm like oh so spiders is out <laughs> like they're right. doing this next year so that name is out um and immediately some other names that i was thinking of that would be kind of interesting um especially our for our region like cleveland coyotes right we have fucking coyotes everywhere out here um oh yeah I was just like, oh, well, they'd have to go to court with the Arizona Coyotes. Um, yeah. That moves out. Um, even if they're do something like, you know, some other pack animal or something. Um, even if, like, there's a whole bunch of names that literally just, like, off the top was like, well, they're not going to wait three years or two years to mm-hmm. to do this. Like, mm-hmm. this is going to happen next year. So they have to go with something that is, that no other, that no other, and we'll get to this, that no other, like, um, more high profile organization has. Um, so like, so like guardians makes the most sense in that regard. It does feel like a little bit of a little bit, a little bit of a, to use like some golf parlance, it does feel like a little bit of a layup shot that they, mm-hmm. they, they didn't go full boat with it. That guardians feels like a little bit more of the safe play. Yeah, definitely. Very, very safe. You know, you have the, the statues and stuff there. So 
you can make the connection to the city and everything like that. Um, and like you said, for being a safe play right now in my current state, I've accepted it. I'm okay with it. But day one, hour one, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, it's just, there's something about it where it's like, I, I just didn't think they were going to do it, but in retrospect, I think it's the best possible move. Yeah. And you know what? Like, obviously and they're they're like i i've seen it i've seen a couple articles from people from 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 baseball sports writers who were clearly not from here it's not just about the damn statues like like they they actually avoided they avoided using much more direct um iconography that that like the cleveland clothing company uses on their t-shirts like mm-hmm. they avoided that quite a bit but obviously, there's a, there's a definite nod to it. But like, so there's some sports writers that like, oh, they named him after the bridge. I'm like, no, they didn't. Like, no, they they it's didn't. Not the bridge. It's not named after the. Shut up. You don't. You're not from here. You don't know what's named after. It's not named after right. anything specific. They just. It's it is a an, a bit of an homage to a part of us, a part of the city. But that's not like what they're named after. Um, and they did a good job of like, b- like they could have, and a lot of people would have enjoyed it. If they just went straight and like just stole the fucking heads exactly off the bridges and made that their logo, they could have done that. Probably, actually, probably legally, they can't do that either. Um, but yeah, like there is, I think this name going forward leaves a lot of room for people to interpret what Guardians means. Even the team can mm-hmm. kind of reinterpret what Guardians means. I said before that I'd be okay with it, and I could almost imagine them doing some sort of play with the Soldiers and Sailors monument. Um, yeah, using it like a military kind of thing, like that. These are the guardians of Ohio. Um, mm-hmm. So like, there's room to expand it. Whereas like something like the spiders, you can't like expand that. They're the spiders. Right. That's true. Yeah. And like putting a giant like spider over the city or something, trying to use that, like it's just not going to look good. I, no. I, I don't like the, the spider on a baseball. Like no, come on. No. Yeah. So was there anything about the process of changing the name that surprised you? Dude, really surprised that they did it in the middle of the season. Yeah, I, I thought that this kind of stuff was like off-season stuff. Um, I didn't even know you could do it in the middle of the season. But then I'm just like, okay, yeah. I mean, well, why the fuck couldn't you? <laughs> you know, so they own the um, team. So <laughs> you're right; they can do whatever the hell they want when they want. Um, so I, I got to say, the thing that was the most surprising was the um, the, the mid-season. Like I was just like waking up one morning and it's like, oh, they're they're not the Cleveland Indians anymore, but they're still playing under the Indians. So yeah, that, that, I mean, I'm not like confused. Like I'm, I'm smart enough to, to make the, the difference or I mean, there's not even really a difference. It's technically the, the guardians now, but it's just, it's just a little like weird that they decided to do it while the team was still playing. Yeah. I was, I was kind of in the same boat, not even necessarily that they're still playing, but it was just like, it was like what Friday morning. Correct. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Yeah. It was after, it was the, the day after, or no, the, sorry. You're right. Friday morning. It, it had to be Friday because I was in Florida. I was busy getting coronavirus in Florida, and it was, it was like, like I just remember like opening up my phone and I'm like, oh, there's a Tom Hanks video, and what's going on here? Oh, we this is the name change. Okay, um, I, I, I agree with you. Like I was just really surprised. It was just like, all right, here it is. But I, I'm guessing that like they probably realize there's just not like a good time for it. Like yeah, the longer you wait, the more people are going to be kind of upset. Either either way. That you haven't mm-hmm. done it yet, or like, oh, you're dragging it out, whatever. It, I guess it's just sort of a rip the bandaid off kind of thing. 
Yeah, I mean, they were going to probably be asked, when are you changing the name every single day until they actually did it? And when stuff, when time goes by, there's a lot of time for animosity to build for, you know, just for more bad articles, bad press. Why haven't you guys did it? The Dolans and the Indians are racist, like all that kind of press. Like they needed to just kind of address this thing and get this over with. And what happened? They won the day in the press. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like with the, with the, we know you and I know that there's definitely people that are against this, but for the, what you, for the most part, what you, what I saw blanketed across my social media feeds with the exception of like, you know, 10 idiots from high school. Um, this was met with overwhelming positivity and support and stuff. There were freaking like comedians in LA tweeting about it. And it's like, what the, what the fuck do you care about the Indians, Adam McKay? Like, come on. Like, right. What the, you know? So, um, this, um, was a great publicity move. It generated a lot of positivity. You know, did they really like get any new fans? Probably not, but they did the right thing. And as a result of it, um, they, they won that day. That was, that was a press winning day. The day they did it. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So do you think that the local roller derby team is going to win their day in court over the, um, over the Dolans and major league baseball? And I, I'm joking um, because yeah. Sports Illustrated, New York Post, someone there was another outlet too that ran a story about the Cleveland Guardians roller derby team, um, and like, oh, this is a potential hiccup in the name change, and I'm like, no, it isn't. Um, no. <laughs> like they like they've been, I think they've been around since like the early 2000s, so like they have like use rights to it, but mm-hmm. as far as I know, in the stories, they the Cleveland Guardians haven't trademarked it. Otherwise, yeah. um, right. uh, even if they did, do you think that this roller derby team can kind of afford to go toe to toe with, again, Major League Baseball and the Dolans? Right. No, it's not. It's not a good move for the roller derby party to do this at all. OK, like it's not. And like I was looking up, I read this article from SI.com about about this situation and everything about the um, the potential for the lawsuit. There's just like a quick couple paragraphs at the bottom of an article about it. And um, while there are some things some things that are on the side of the roller derby, like the fact that the trademark office um, acknowledges first to use and not yeah. first to file mm-hmm. like, yes, that element of it works very much in their favor. However, there's a big counter to that where we're talking about brand confusion mm-hmm. and like, it's going to be impossible to prove brand confusion. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that right there is a really big, it's a really uphill climb right there. And then if I'm going to kind of like kick this up a notch, it's all the money. And like we could be looking at like very, very simple things, like just simple hearings, simple filings, simple deadlines that guess what? The Indians are going to have all the power in the world (laughs) to do whatever they want with those, continue those dates, whatever it is, do whatever they want. The roller derby like let's just say they're supposed to have a hearing and the Indians file a motion to continue the hearing. The guardians are then going to have to pay a legal representative to draft a response to object to that motion to continue. Cause it's in the guard. It's in the roller derby team to get this over with as fast as humanly possible mm-hmm. because the Indians can financially like bleed them dry. And <laughs> right. stuff. So this is like, 
this is just like one of these things that um, I think it gets a lot of press because it's a hot topic issue. You know, it's a hot topic to the people that like are so animate about them not changing the name, which are, which I feel are really in the minority. I, I really do. Mm-hmm. And um, so the idea of this lawsuit, if there is anybody on the Cleveland guardians roller derby that is listening to this, which there probably is, don't do this. This is a dumb <laughs> fucking move. Okay. Like this is just like, you're going to burn a lot of money and a lot of effort. Dumb fucking move. Hashtag DFM. Right, right. I don't, I don't know that they're actually doing it, but the way that like Sports Illustrated in the Post wrote about it, it seemed almost like they made it almost seem like the like, boy, the the roller derby team has some legal ground here, and it's like, yeah, they do, but like, like an idiotic legal ground that would result mm-hmm. in them getting nothing out of it, <laughs> like. Right. It's so stupid. And like you, you bring, I love, I'm, I'm so glad that you brought up um, brand recognition. It's not like people, it's not like there's like a, a disc golf team in Detroit called the Pistons that people <laughs> accidentally show up to go see. Right. Because right. they thought yeah. it was the Detroit Pistons basketball team. It's a, it's a stupid, this is one of those things I'm like, congratulations, Sports Illustrated. You got me to click on it. Um, what a dumb waste of your time though. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. This is, um, as far as like the legal community goes, this is just like a dumb thing to do. Really stupid move. How many, I mean, legitimately though, how many, like, not even, I mean, I don't think semi-pro even really like is like the accurate way to, to do it. Like how many local club soccer teams, rugby teams, club football teams around major metropolitan cities and areas, like how many, how many teams in Boston Metro do you think have the Patriots name? Oh, probably a lot. I'd say there's probably at least like, you know, a bunch of hockey, ta- hockey teams in Charleston or whatever that have this stuff. I will assure you that there are Boston Patriots, the uh, Lowell Patriots or whatever. Right. Insert a city, insert a sports team. They have it. I, I guarantee it. Yeah, exactly. It's and like and no one Sports Illustrated isn't writing articles about them. So, of right. course, That's we right. are we are the first I think we're the first major team in quite a long time to do a complete name change. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously the God. football team, but like in terms of finally going from one name to a totally different name, like I think we're the first one in a long time. Yeah, DC maybe would be the last one that I can think of, or Tampa Bay, one of those ones. Um, but Tampa Bay is like a partial one because it's still the the Rays. It's still the whatever, Rays. But... Yeah, the, the idea is still the same, more or less. Um, that's something to look up. Like whoever, like the last team to do a complete a complete name change. It'd be interesting. Definitely. Yeah. Anyway, um, so let's actually talk about the Indians real quickly on the or the, the Guardians real quickly on the field. Um, what is most surprising about about this particular team, which is the last team to play under the Indians moniker? That's just just going to be kind of weird when you really think about that. But a just surprising thing that you've seen with the Indians this year. So with all the injuries that they've had, and now like Francona's health and everything, he had to step down. The fact that they're in second place in the division and not just a goddamn mess, like uh, like a last place team losing a whole bunch of games, I got to say that's pretty surprising to me. Um, it's like the injuries are one thing, and they did a, a not too bad a job, like you know, kind of maintaining through the injuries mm-hmm. and stuff. They didn't do the best, but they were still winning some games. They weren't getting blown out all the time, and there's you know there's high there high moments and a lot of things to kind of get excited about in terms of some of like, like pitching and um, 
I mean, primarily with pitching, but, um, but then like Francona comes along and leaves and like, dude, I just like with him being so smart, such a great manager, such a great baseball mind, this would be something that I think would normally just send a team into a shit spiral and stuff, Mm -hmm. but the Indians haven't completely shit spiraled. And the fact that they are that they're even in second place, and they, if they're in the wild card race, even though it's a kind and, of long shot, I mean there's like four yeah. or five in the long in the wild card yeah. race, but they're in they are you know they're on a list you know underneath the right. team that could possibly make it. So, um, so I, I think that that's like the most surprising thing is that like you know through all this adversity, we're not looking at like the teams from we're not looking at the team in the the second act of major league exactly exactly they're so like right now as we're recording this they're playing the the rangers and Mm -hmm. the rangers are the youngest team in baseball the indians are the second youngest team in baseball the indians are like 22 wins better and jesus that like that that really you're right this is the most surprising thing all of the injuries we literally lost our entire opening day pitching staff like all the mm-hmm. five guys that were listed as opening day starters were gone at one point. Um, we we missed Fran Mill Reyes for like seven weeks. Um, who else got? It? There's I mean there's more injuries. Obviously the the Naylor injury was a gross one um, that put him out for the rest of the year when he was really starting to figure things out. Um, we this is the worst defensive in, Indian team I've ever seen, and somehow somehow they're a game above five hundred. I'm assuming they won tonight. They're up by a lot. So they're a game above 500, and they've done this without a pitching staff while developing young pitching, while being the second the second youngest team, no manager, and you're right, they didn't collapse. This like this is incredible, and like it's just I don't know, it, it's it's like a magic trick that they just pulled. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I can't believe it either, dude. And I like teams like the Indians in the 90s and the New York, like they would have collapsed. Mm-hmm. You know, I just like that's what I feel, and like. I says it, it really says something about the strength of the organization and like some of the behind the scenes stuff and like the, 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 the coaching that is not Francona, like the pitchers and all the stuff, like the position coaches and stuff. I think it's a really solid testament that, um, we have this kind of solid foundation of an organization where all this crap can happen and we still, you know, we're one game over 500. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at the, Look at the veteran-laden Cubs, who at one point in time this year were you know in a wild card spot. I mean, it was early, it was like in you know late May, early June, but then like injuries and some like adversity and some clubhouse issues hit, and a team that just five years ago beat us in the World Series completely and totally collapsed, completely mm-hmm. imploded, and they ended up trading. Every, I mean, there is other than Doug Ross, the manager who was playing for the Cubs. Uh, when they beat us in the in the 2016 World Series, there's no one left from that team. It's they're all gone. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they had like a fire sale and shit. Like Rizzo went to like the Yankees or mm-hmm. something like that. Like, and so I mean, there was just like people going like every which direction and stuff. And it honestly looks more like the Chicago Cubs that you and I know from <laughs> from yep, our from most of our lives. <laughs> so it's like, man, it's just like, dude, like 2016, just fucking crazy as hell year, dude. I know. Like, with um, it's just like that could be the only time the Cubs go back to the series for a long time. And in five years, they are completely decimated. Whereas the Indians are still like, you know, above 500. At least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anything then you're looking forward to next season with the, uh, with the guardians? 
I would say like our pitching is a good place to start. Um, I, Tristan McKenzie has done pretty impressively like throughout the last like couple of weeks. I'm not, I'm not entirely positive with how he's done like in terms of like the, the last like three or four days, but I know that well, he's in on the, the DL last few right weeks, now. Oh, he is on the DL right now. Okay. So like in the fatigue, la- he's got a, it's not like, a, it's not like a bad, he's got a fatigue shoulder. This is the most he's pitched in three years. So yeah, and like he's just, yeah, it just happens. He, like, yeah, I totally, man. And like, I, um, I, I like him a lot. I really, you know, like the, the Shane Bieber, you know, coming back for next year and stuff. We're going to have a very, very solid pitching core. And um, it's just weird that like, you know, the Indians consistently having like really, really, really good pitching and stuff. And to have a defensive element of the game be something to be excited about. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, we're, we're agree with you there. We're six or possibly even seven deep in our starting pitching now. Like there's going to be two pitchers, probably two pitchers in AAA that would be on most major league staffs which is fantastic. Um, obviously, you know, well, you know, we found, we found some, like, I mean, Tristan McKenzie almost threw a perfect game um, recently, and he backed that up with another great outing before we went on the DL. But we found, we, we let Cal Quantrill actually start games, and it turns out Cal Quantrill's really fucking good. Um, it turns out that, like, there's a possibility that this Eli Morgan kid uh, might, you know, I, I'm not talking like top of the rotation starter, but he could be, like, the best version of Josh Tomlin. And that's not a bad mm-hmm. thing to have, like you're, you know, being the fifth starter or even like the first guy in AAA that would come up. Um, so the pitching just goes deep, which is, it's weird. Like it felt like at the beginning of the season after all the guys we traded away, like, ooh, I don't know. And then as it turns out, like, no, they're fine. Um, <laughs> right. No, they're okay. Because the, the Cleveland somehow is a pitching factory. Um, but like, I'm really excited. This is, I think this is low key fucking steel. They traded Phil Maton, who's um, you know decent reliever, uh, right-handed reliever, throws in the mid nineties, throws a good sinker. I mean, he's totally fine. But they traded him for Miles Straw. Miles Straw is going to win a Gold Glove at some point in time in center field. And we, for a while there, had Ahmed Rosario trying to play center field, and that didn't work out. And it's not his fault; he's a shortstop. Um, so now you have you have a center fielder that can. Probably not Kenny Lofton-like. That's some real high praise. But the closest thing that we've had to Kenny Lofton in a long time, we got for a okay reliever from Houston. Yeah. Dude, I got to tell you, that is really, really good news and stuff. And just little pieces like that, considering that we lost uh, Francisco Lindor and stuff. Stuff like that, you know, could end up being like a really, really vital piece next year and stuff. And it could end up being like an, you know, this guy could be an anchor in that position and develop with the team and the team grows together. And who knows, maybe without injuries and, you know, not having um, the manager step down, whether it be Frank Kona again or another manager, um, you know, this team could be basically back to how they were in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, and forgot this. This is a good thing. The Indians are going to spend money next year. Like that's, they like Antonetti Dolan have talked about it, that they're like this sort of not that we're not talking about like a ton of money. We're not going to go out and sign Carlos Correa to a $200 million contract, but like in terms, you know, like this year, they essentially, the only real big move they made was to bring in Eddie Rosario, who was fine, but like this year, expect them to sign one or two of those type of like veteran players to two or three year contracts, like actual guys that fill out the order can actually hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so definitely. Yeah, it's, no, be good to. See, yeah, go ahead. It's going to be good to see them spend some money. Be yeah, nice to yeah. see that. Yeah, so there's. I think. Yeah, I, I think had the Indians just totally collapsed this year, I would not be as excited for the Guardians next year. But 
because they've more than kept their head above water, considering the circumstances, I think there's a lot to look forward to. And as for as much grief as the Dolans get, and they deserve plenty of it, um, they're by far, by far the most stable franchise in Cleveland. By far. Yeah, and they have been for a while. For a while. Too. Like, we're, we're talking a really long time. So it's it's... It's nuts to think about it like that, dude, that like the Indians have been the most stable franchise in town. Considering when we were growing up, that was not the case at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, boy. But uh, anyway. Uh, oh, any, and just any final thoughts about the Indians slash Guardians? Well, let's see what they do. Maybe this name change might mean a World Series win. Who knows? Usually there's kind of rewards when stuff like this happens. A, like a, a little, a little karma going on our side for once. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. There would be very nice to get some karma on our side. Absolutely. All right, let's then let's jump into lastly here the Cleveland Browns about to start up another new season. So Chema on a scale of Brandon Whedon to Autogram, how excited are you for this season? Oh, I am like five autograms. Yep. Like I am I am on a level of excitement for this season that I have not felt in a very long time. Like, I mean, almost since like I was a kid and stuff like that, you know, and like there's always a level of excitement amongst, you know, fans of teams like, you know, around that um, when we're getting to this, you know, I, dude, I would say the Browns were going to go to the Super Bowl three years ago. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But um, with this, it actually feels like that there's some some substance behind those words. And like, if there's ever a point in time to be excited about Cleveland sports in the fall, this is the year. Like, this is probably the most I've been excited about this team in a long, long time, dude. Yeah, yes, I, I'm with you here. Five autograms is the way is the best way to put it. Not even a backwards Brandon Whedon pass could can can <laughs> keep me from loving. God, I love that fucking highlight. Um, not even a, not even over the head backwards Brandon Whedon pass can can take me off my excitement for the Browns this year. Um, I think, you know, we always talk about like, we're kind of always Clevelanders always cautiously optimistic about their sports teams, especially the Browns. And like, I'm not losing, I'm not losing my head. I'm not one of those people running around like, we're going to win 15 games this year. We'll go to the Super Bowl. I, I just, this year would be shocked if we were not good. If we weren't a solid team, I would be absolutely, totally floored and shocked. And that, so that's like where I am as a fan. Like it's, I'm, I am expecting them to make a run to the playoffs. And I don't think mm-hmm. I've ever in past years, I hoped hoped that they might be good enough to make maybe a run at the playoffs. I, I or more likely hope that they might be good enough to get to 500 this year. I know, and I, I'm confident that that's going to be, that's minimally what we're going to do is make a run at one of the playoff spots. Yeah, I know. It's such a weird feeling to have, dude. Like, you know for certain that we're making a playoff run. It's not like a shot in the dark. It's not like a bunch of crazy things have to happen and all the stars have to be aligned. We have a legitimate chance this year. And I can confidently say that. You know, mm-hmm. There's not a doubt in my mind. And if it doesn't go that way, that means just something astronomically crazy. Something bizarre happened. happened. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. So then... So then what's going to be different about this season than let's, let's, let's rope it in the past two. What's going to be different about this season? Dude, it's personally, I feel it's the regime change. I think that this is the biggest element going into this season. It's just having the same fucking coaching staff for two years in a row and not only having a coach because we had Hugh Jackson, you know, but we have Stefanski. We have like a really good coach. We have a really, really smart coach. We have a coach that is almost unlike anybody else in the league. And I respect the shit out of them. 
And like, he is only going to get better. Like he doesn't strike me as a guy who takes steps back. Mm -hmm. So him coming in here for this year after, for, you know, compared to the last two years, I think is the biggest and one of the most important things um, about this team that um, in the positive is having him back. Yeah. I'm with you on that. that, That's a, that's a part of what I was thinking here that like, just just having the stability of the same regime is is a huge is a huge huge factor but also Chema I think like so you know the Browns are getting plenty of hype nationally and obviously locally but like when was the last time you heard Baker or OBJ or Jarvis or anyone talk about the hype talk about what they could do have you heard that you know something? I don't have any examples of it, so I don't believe I have. There's a very, very professional tone mm-hmm. coming from Baker specifically. I, I'll be honest with you, I, I can't think of any recent Odell like nothing. snips and stuff like that nothing. from the internet, or even Jarvis. Like I, I don't even think I've heard a Jarvis press conference or him even be on the radio. So we're not hearing anything from them. And like, and I got to tell you, like. I kind of like it. It's mm-hmm. it's a really cool and different approach to what we're usually seeing. Because honestly, like, and I might be wrong on this, but I could see Browns teams in the past really like buying into the hype and shit, you know. And it's like all of a sudden, like, you know, one guy who is maybe like very reserved the next season has got like you know vibrant Browns were the champs number one kind of stuff like this major attitude change in terms of the way they are like off the field but we're just not having that it's this is a whole different thing Cheba this this was them in 2019 before the season they were talking about how great they were going to be um we traded for OBJ um people in Cleveland bought into the hype and they bought into it too and they were Mm -hmm. they were talking up and down about like what they were going to do not necessarily like, oh, we're going to score 40 points on everyone, but all you heard was like, like how, you know, like how easy it was going to be for them to compete, how, how they were going to be this offensive juggernaut. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. That's what we're going to do. And it's right. just like, well, you guys have had, you guys were below 500 last year um, at seven, eight and one. And none of you have played, you know, with, even with Odell, you haven't played a game together yet. So interesting that you're, that you're going to this height, you know, you're already on this hype train. And then the right. disaster unfolds with Freddie Kitchens at the helm. And I think I think that sort of humbling and then with like the steady hands of Stefanski and Andrew Barry running the show, these guys aren't buying into the hype. They're buying into their work. They're buying into the scheme. They're buying into their own coach. Like they're buying into their coaching staff. They're buying into everything that we're doing inside the building of Berea and not to what mm-hmm. everyone else is saying outside of Berea. Yeah, definitely. I noticed that there's a lot of like um in, it, like everything's very, very like internal and stuff. Mm-hmm. You're not getting like Stefanski doesn't even fall for or play into any of the usual media shit when in terms of like asking questions and stuff. I mean, this is a whole different thing in terms of like how this team is like developing internally and almost like avoiding the outside world entirely, even mm-hmm. though I, I know they're not, but we're not hearing about their thoughts on it. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm still in the area and I really can't, can't tell you, how many times I've I've heard someone go off half cocked about something? No one. I mean, I was gonna say like, I was gonna say like the the biggest thing we've heard is like Nick Chubb cereal. Um, in the last yeah. like, week came out, and not that right. Nick Chubb talks like ever. Anyway, it would do. There was there was a really funny interview they had with Jack Conklin, 
and they're talking about the cereal and Jack Conklin is like like because oh, Nick Chubb had it up as Instagram like a little commercial about the cereal and like the the foundation that it goes to that the proceeds go to and Jack Conklin was like he's like I swear to God that's the most I've ever heard Nick Chubb talk is this <laughs> is this forty five seconds he's like who the hell are you man like I've never he's like I didn't even know that's what your voice sounded like. Um, but yeah, like that's like the most I've heard come out of, come out of training camp and come out of Berea in the last, in the last month. That's it. Yeah. And I got to tell you, it feels good. Like, it, cause to me it shows that at least like they're focused and stuff and evidence that this team is growing and moving forward. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So if the Browns win the North, um, it, I mean, I guess it could even just be like a, you know one of the wild card spots because I kind of like. By the way, folks, the North is good. Um, it's it's not going to be like yeah. a, we're not going to walk through it. So, but let's just say the Browns win the North. Who do you think will have the, made the biggest contribution to that? I, I gotta say it's Baker. I, like this is this is going to be his year, and I think that he's about to come alive and he's about to do a lot of special things, and the team success is going to almost rest like solely in his hands. I know we have a really, really great running game, but I have a feeling that like, I don't know if you just run the ball all the time. I think teams are going to get, going to get hit to that. And I think having a guy like Baker, who's got the drive and he's this new tone and everything, this has got to be his team and the success is going to live and die with him. I, I do. I, I do agree. I do agree. I, I, I sort of wanted to skirt Baker in my answer for this one, um, simply because mm-hmm. obviously if Baker has a great year, then we're going to win right. games. Like it's, it's just, True. it's that obvious. Same with like, and like, I so like for this, for me, I just, I avoided Baker. I avoided Nick Chubb. I avoided miles. Like if miles has 20 sacks this year, we're probably going to win the North. Um, right. <laughs> like it's just how it's going to work. So, but I, I went with OBJ. We still haven't had the full OBJ experience in Cleveland. Um, obviously he misses most of last year with, uh, with the ACL injury, even before in the year before, you know, we, the struggles that the team had collectively, but he was also hurt that entire season too. Like he ended up having surgery after the season for uh sports hernia, I think. Um, so he was, he was unhealthy even that year and we didn't get the full OBJ experience. If we get, you know, during his like three, four year peak in New York, if we get that OBJ, I don't know. I don't know what team out there can stop what we bring offensively. If we have that X factor out there um, taking the top off and basically, I mean, someone will be open on a, in a, in a, in a route all the time. Someone, you know, there's going to be more lanes for Chubb and Hunt and Dearness Johnson and Demetric Felton to run through. The tight ends are going to be involved if OBJ is healthy and going full blow, going, you know, going full steam. Like, I, I really think that OBJ could be that sort of, that sort of difference maker. Yeah, that guy, we need him to come alive too and everything. Because you're right, Cleveland has not had the full OBJ experience. And having a guy of that caliber, like playing his ass off and to full capacity, is going to be something that a lot of people should be very, very, very afraid about. Because I'm telling you, like they could go into Kansas city and if he is on and everything is clicking and they go out and dominate the chiefs, that's going to set a major tone for the season. And with the rest of the league, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God, God, I, I'm not going to be disappointed if they lose in Kansas city, but boy, I kind of, not only do I want them to win, I kind of want them to put up like a, like a 35 to like 18, 17 kind of game where it's yeah. like, oh, it's yeah. not even in doubt. 
No, I believe me. I want a commanding victory. I got a buddy in Louisville who's a Chiefs fan. I need to throw a couple of shots his way, especially after what happened last year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So, since speaking of Baker, since we just brought him up, does Baker's, and I guess I kind of know where you're going with this one, does Baker's contract gamble pay off on himself? I completely say yes. Um, there's This dude, I think, has always bet on himself, whether it's, you know, being a walk-on in um, – you know, going from being a walk on to Oklahoma to going to, to the win on the Heisman Trophy and become a great college quarterback. This is a dude who I think this is all he knows is betting on himself. And this is a guy who is going to come out and I think he is going to deliver tenfold. And that is going to mean a major return for him um, come the offseason. I'm, I'm on I'm on this. I support it. I want it to happen. Give him the money and let's see him have some fun. I, I'm, I'm on the same boat. Um, obviously, you know, you're right. Like he, he's that guy that's always better. Dude, he's a two-time walk-on at Texas Tech and Oklahoma. Uh, that's right. Two-time walk-on until that, uh, that pesky Patrick Mahomes, uh, forced him to leave, uh, Texas Tech. Um, right. but, um, yeah, he's, he's that guy that there is, there is no end to his confidence in himself and his abilities. And I think like, here's like one thing, like, we can talk about like how his footwork gets a little sloppy sometimes. We've seen it, um, mm-hmm. but you can't tell me that this guy doesn't work his ass off. That he's not. When we talk about like the way you know, the, we we talk about like and and pundits and everyone else will talk about like the amount of work an NFL quarterback has to do to to get ready for every start. Even the backups have a, have a lot of work to do. There, there's no doubt that Baker does all of that. So I personally have no doubts that that his game. I mean. I hope it pays off. That'd be fantastic. But I have no doubts that like this for him, this is going to be a, this is going to be a full effort, full shot at getting that massive contract. And he's not going to leave. There's no way someone like him leaves anything to doubt in that regard. Like he's not going to, he is not going to go into a single game this year unprepared. No, exactly. Exactly. That guy, he's doing the homework. I believe I believe that he's the first one there and the last to leave. If I'm wrong, so sue me. But I believe that I'm looking at a guy who is completely developing his not only his playing, but his his leadership role. And like if you were to tell me like when that Baker Mayfield meme came out where he's in the stupid jacket with the mustache that we would be looking at what we see now. I'd have been like, yeah, fucking right, dude. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, we just got another like Johnny Manziel, who's a little bit better. But this guy, it's like it's almost like he is so in tune with this whole situation that and getting better and just only improving that, that like, I can't not help, but buy into this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in. Um, gosh, I, I, it would be really nice that it, it, it would be one of the nicest things ever. If at the end of the season, we can talk about whether or not they paid Baker Mayfield too much money. <laughs> I know. I know. I can't wait to. I don't think I've ever had that conversation. Nope. I can't wait to have. When it. was the last time we had the same starting quarterback for three plus straight years? <laughs> oh my god, we had like, seven in one season. Um, so yeah, anyway, couch maybe. I don't even know. No, Probably Tim Couch never put. He always got hurt because you know oh, we we drafted him yeah. and never put never drafted offensive lineman to protect him. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Like, dude, this is like, we're almost into like a whole new territory. Like I might not even know how to act or what to say. I know. I know. All right. So what two under the radar players are you hoping have, I mean, obviously we want everyone to have a big year, but two guys maybe that, that aren't getting talked about a lot. Are you hoping have big years? Okay. Um, 
I'm going with Demetric Felton. He's a lesser known name mm-hmm. um, and also would be a rookie and stuff. Love this guy. Um, this is UCLA. So like, number one, I'm all about like now living here, West coast representation in the NFL. Um, and like from the preseason, I've been pretty impressed so far. This guy could be a, a various role player, could do special teams, could be different roles on offense. So I'm hoping that he turns out to be, turns out to be something, um, something worthwhile. Could, could be, and, could be our Eric Metcalf. Yes, exactly. Could be like our Eric Metcalf. Metcalf. Fuck yeah, dude. Great comparison there. Great comparison. And my second one is one that I've gone to a few times in the past. And David Njoku, yep. now is the fucking time. <laughs> yep. Now is the goddamn time, dude. Like, all the, like, there was some stuff last year, the specifics of which I'm a little foggy on. But, like, in summary, it's like, oh, I don't want to be here. Oh, maybe I do want to be here. Well, now's the time to like have you actually performed like you want to be here and like dude i've seen photos of that guy recently that dude is a fucking specimen of what an athletic body should look like there's he, no he reason put on, for him he, to have the numbers he put on he put on body weight this year he put on muscle um yeah so th- there's yeah, no ahead. reason for him to have have the kind of numbers that he has had and stuff and like this and with baker throwing him the ball and everything and in the in the dynamic offense if he doesn't show up there will be no room for him going forward well see this is the thing i i'm with you on njoku too um actually i feel like we've talked about him for like three straight years oh um, of course every year yeah tradition but but here's the thing about him like so yeah he wanted out last year um, I forgot who it was that like got not really got into his ear, but kind of like made him change his mind on it. Um, I'm, I'm sure it was his. I'm sure starting with his position coach, but it was it was another coach too. Um, the Joku, the thing that I mean, he came in as like this athletic specimen out of Miami, this like sort of guy that you could think of as like being the next, um, you know, the next Zach Ertz, the next um, Gronk's probably not a good comparison, but like uh, Jimmy Graham, these more offensive oriented tight ends that. You know they're they're basically big wide receivers. Um, right. That was kind of the the sort of what you kind of envisioned with him. Well, like so about midway last year, after he kind of that's when you heard him like say like no, you know what, I want to stay here. Um, a, a, someone got into his ear and basically was like, listen, like you have this rare opportunity here. You have these amazing physical gifts. Like you you look like a track athlete, like a gigantic track athlete playing football. Like, it just, like, you, it doesn't really, you don't, people don't look like you. People aren't built like you in real life. But here he is. He became a really solid blocking tight end, which is something that wasn't in his repertoire. And that's why he was, he played a lot at the end of last year, the last, like, eight, nine games. is because he basically put in the work and said, like, I'm going to do this. And all reports out of camp are this year, in addition to him being bigger and stronger, and um, apparently has, like, really improved his pass catching, he's an even better blocker this year. So is he, I don't know if we're going to see like 10 touchdowns out of him. I don't think that's in the cards. I don't think that's in the cards for any of the tight ends. Like it's just not going to happen. There's too many balls to go around for any one of the tight ends to catch like double digit touchdowns. But like, I have a feeling that David Njoku is going to be on the field a lot because he's going to be invaluable to both the pass and the run game. Yeah, I, I really hope so, dude. And like, it would just be so great like when we had this conversation next year to not have to talk about David Njoku <laughs> or he shouldn't be like one of the first people that comes to my mind. Every right. Time we we, we right. do this, you know? Right. Um, and, and the other, the other guy um, I'm hoping has a big year is Andrew Billings. Um, we, we didn't see him last year cause he opted out because of COVID. Um, right. You know, he was, he was talking about how he's a higher risk. He's like asthmatic and he's overweight. Um, I guess most, 
I, technically speaking, most offensive linemen are overweight. Um, but, you know, he's, he was in a higher risk category, so he opted out. So we didn't see him last year, and he was a very solid defensive tackle uh, in Cincinnati prior to coming to Cleveland. Um, but, like, now we don't have Sheldon Richardson. We, we don't have Larry Ogunjobi, who I think was vastly underrated while he was here in Cleveland. Like, I, I, he did a lot here on the defensive line. Um, mm-hmm. So we need someone to, you know, we, we've, we obviously signed some players, but, like, this is sort of like Andrew Billings. This, is, this could be the Andrew Billings show if he steps up. Yeah. It would be a, a huge help to, to both Miles and uh, the newly acquired uh, Jadavion, excuse me, the Jadavion Clowney. It would be a huge help if he really is that presence in the middle that we need, especially from like a, a big bulky guy who's like, what is he, 6'2", 330? I mean, he's a massive man. Um, it would be nice if someone were to take up that role as a space eater and and kind of make it, make life easier on everyone else on that defensive line. Yeah, exactly. Like with Jadavion Clowney um, being a little bit of injury prone and him missing some time throughout the course of his career, we need as much like kind of load sharing and teamwork and like relief when it can be given and stuff and like any kind of help, dude, like miles can't carry the show by himself. And if something bad happens, I just have this feeling that if all the weight, if something bad happens to miles and Jadavion County becomes the thing, I just, I can't really rely on him. I don't have the confidence because of, because of the injuries, there's nothing to do with his size. It's just because of the injuries. And, um, we need another guy there to, to be an anchor, to de- develop and to be a quality player just in case. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we're paying him a lot of money. So, um, right. <laughs> like, you know, so I guess go out and earn it. Um, I mean a lot being a, a relative for like a defensive lineman, but, um, yeah, go out and earn it. And it would be great if, again, like I, I liked what Sheldon Richardson did last year and I've always been a Larry Ogunjobi fan. They just became too expensive. So, mm-hmm. You know, like we we need you to step up and be. If he if he steps up and he's Larry Ogunjobi, great. That's that's totally yeah. good. That that's exactly what we need. Hell yeah, dude! I'm all for it. Loving what they did with the defense this off season. Absolutely. All right, so we got our we got our we got our look at the 1946 throwbacks. Um, you know, I, I think they're. I think just you know before we get into this question, I think they're totally okay. What, what about you? Yeah. Oh, dude, I'm, I'm convinced that they released those just because the Guardians logo was so fucking awful. That came out the same day, much later on in the day. Yes, so right, I think, that's right. Like, I, th- I think somebody on Twitter was like, oh, God, people don't like this. Let's do something. And then they call they up the Browns. the Browns. Call up the Browns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, I got to tell you, um, I, I like them. I, I my personal preference is that it wasn't a white jersey because like, I don't know, I have a feeling that I'm going to end up buying a Browns jersey at some point in time here soon. And I like the idea of these throwbacks. Um, I just wish it wasn't the all white one, but I do. Love I, I don't. I don't think they jersey. had anything else. Like there, yeah. there isn't a brown 1946 jersey. Yeah, I don't th- like. Yeah, you're you're right about. Yeah, like definitely just knowing the the league and everything back then. Like they were probably lucky to even have the one jersey. So right, and they probably had to pay for it. Um, um, yeah, like they probably did. The players had to pay <laughs> yeah. for it on their own. Right. So like, um, yeah. So like with um. Aside from my own personal preference, and the color thing is just because I want to wear it in a white jersey, I'm going to stain. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. Other than that, I I absolutely love it, dude. Fucking love it. Love them too. Really, really enjoy them. So if you're to carry over one one thing from the '46 throwbacks that the Browns should incorporate into their current uniforms, what would it be? 
Okay, it's the numbers. Yep. Like, I really love the numbers. I love the orange and brown on the numbers. Um, I got it. Dude, it's weird. Like, the the helmets and everything, if those even make their way to the to the game, because I'm like, I don't know, there's a the whole thing about one helmet in the NFL and stuff. Like, uh, that I don't change. Really... You can have you can have two helmets now. Oh, sick. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. But I, I will say that if the Browns win and like, you know, we're winning with just the orange helmets, I know I'm going to want that to like stay around. Yeah. So <laughs> the, the numbers thing, I, I like it. Um, I, I, it can't be a regular thing because of D, the numbers on the helmet DC is doing it right now. So like, I just, I don't know, for some reason I don't really want that to stay around, but if they did it once or twice with a throwback Jersey, I'm all for it. But if we're talking the thing that should be put onto the production line ASAP, it is some type of Jersey with those orange numbers. I, I dig, I dig the orange numbers on the Jersey. That's sort of like, I don't know. What is it? Like a shadow boxing effect or whatever. Yes. On them. Uh, I like that. But Chema, I'm, I'm in favor of having numbers permanently on the helmets. Um, the only reason why DC has the numbers in the helmets is because that's where the logo used to be. Otherwise right. they don't do that's it. Right. That's <laughs> um, right. Yeah. So like I, I'm in favor. I think, I think we'd be the only team that does that. We would be when yeah. once DC does not do it, we would be the only ones. Um, I don't want them in black though. Is it wrong that no, I don't want no. them in black? No, okay. I, I, yeah, would, I would either. I, I kind of want to see how it would look in both white and brown, but mm-hmm. like those would be the two preferences. I just something something about that. I don't know. It's I don't, I don't know if it's because I've always for some reason I enjoyed the simplicity of Alabama's uniforms, yeah. um, and the number on the side was always one of those things that I was just like. I don't know what it is. I just think it's cool. And I would love to see that on our helmets. Yeah. I've always kind of been a sucker for that stuff as well. There's just something about this classic simplicity of it. And the fact that it's associated with a, like the creme de la creme of college football mm-hmm. programs, there's something about that just really re- resonates well with me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And however, having said that, if they never did that, I'm also okay with being the only team without a helmet logo. Yeah, I like believe me. Now that we're winning, I totally think it's awesome. His tradition, yeah. <laughs> <It> never changed. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> right. Oh, exactly. Yeah, you know what? That's okay. Real quickly, I won't. I won't get too far down this rabbit hole. But like, if the Guardians win a lot, no one's gonna remember or care that they were the Indians. Yep, exactly. No, you got that right, dude. If they they get to the playoffs, they get to the World Series and win, like in the next couple of years, no one's giving a shit about that. Nope, not at all. All right. Uh, any other any other final predictions here for the uh, for the Cleveland Browns? I'm I'm saying AFC Championship game, like that is my big prediction. I'm not saying the Super Bowl just mm-hmm. because, but AFC Championship game definitely. And man, if they do go to the Super Bowl, it is going to be a fucking party in this apartment that weekend. So, <laughs> oh yeah, I'll see you that weekend. Um, oh. Believe, believe me, dude. Like, I have a feeling that if that happens, our place is going to look like um, it's going to look like when they go to the mattresses in The Godfather. <laughs> it's going to be like that. <laughs> I mean, it, it is in L.A., correct? Super Bowl. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah Super so Bowl's in L.A. Yeah, yeah um, we're gonna tr- we're gonna look into getting like some like whether it be parking lot, whatever they're doing outside for the Super go hang Bowl, out, we're see what you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. At, you, oh, dude, you have to. Like, I I maintain that. Um. So the the Cavs, Cleveland's hosting the um, NBA All Star Game. I'm right. I'm going to go down and check out whatever's going on, even though it's like the middle of February. I don't give a shit. I got to see what's happening. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. Dude. Go like down my, there. Like experience my experience it. from the, from the previous, from the MLB all-star game was awesome. So I'm like, okay, every time something like this is happening in Cleveland, I'm going to go do it. 
Yeah, totally do it, dude. Like, I can't wait till the All-Star game comes back out to L.A. and I can start some experience, some of those festivities. Like, I, I want to I need to start doing like that kind of shit. Yeah, I mean, you're in L.A. You get plenty of big events regardless. But like, if you have a chance to go do Super Bowl stuff, I like I when the Super Bowl was in Detroit, I was at Bowling Green. Like, w- like me and my one roommate really regret not driving up just to go up to Detroit just to go see like what the you know the the fan fest experience was then. So like. Oh, go yeah. do it. You should absolutely go do it. I wanted to see, I would have loved to have gone to Detroit to see all those like fake storefronts and everything like that. that they yeah, that's, put right. Up. Like, that's right. <laughs> but yeah, we we're going to, we're going to go down and like, even if the Browns aren't in it, I'm pretty oh, check it out. safe to assume that Jess is and I are going to do something. Yeah, like that. Oh, yeah for sure. Go check it out. So I'm with you on there. I think, um, I think the Browns AFC title game and I, I, I don't want to say Super Bowl either. I mean, think about this one way shape or form the browns are going to have to get through the ravens the steelers the bills and the chiefs right dude that's a gauntlet yeah. that's i know that's a go- and and possibly the fucking chargers that's right too yeah you bet man that is that is a freaking gauntlet right there can't i can't knowing that is what lies ahead that's why i can't go super bowl but i right. can at least do AFC championship i, I wouldn't even if they even if they just get to you know and even if they just get to the division again it, it like it won't feel like a success, but man, like I, I, it, this season's going to be a lot harder than people realize. Like it's just going to be mm-hmm. a lot harder than people realize. So I, I'm if they got to the AFC title game, my goodness, that would be fantastic. Um, and I'll, I'll throw one more in here. I think he's not going to win it, but I think Baker gets MVP votes. Yep, I can see that happening. I definitely can see that happening for sure. Yeah, and, and in which case, if he does. His agent is going straight to Andrew Barry. Like, look at that, MVP <laughs> votes, baby. So let's uh, let's start talking contract. Yep, you bet, dude. I could see that happening. I could see him making and turning a lot of heads and really impressing some people this season. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so that wraps up our local sports. We're basically done here, except for we have one more trivia question left. Um, Chema, do you want to throw yours out? I will definitely do that. Who are the three running backs in NFL history who have gone for 1,000 yards of rushing and 1,000 yards receiving in a season? Okay. Um, I feel like I have two of them. Um, Marshall Falk and Edron James. And I feel like the third one was recent. Um, oh, shit. Uh, Christian McCaffrey. Okay, you got two of them. It's damn. not Edger and James. It's Roger Craig. Roger Craig. Which I was, I was, I was surprised about that. Eighties Forty Niners, man. That West Coast system. I know, dude. I'm telling you, we're going up to San Francisco next week. Like, I can't wait to fucking get up there and you know maybe be in a bar when the Forty ers are playing a preseason game. There you go. There you go. Ah, man. Yeah, because Christian McCaffrey was two years ago. Uh, yes, he was two yes. years ago. Yeah, yeah. I knew Marshall Falk. I think he did it. Like, didn't he not do it more than once? I think so. I think it when I think he did it more than once, like with the Rams. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, because yeah, Marshall Falk is unbelievable. Like, just yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, unbelievable. Um. All right. Two out of three. Not bad. Not bad. Um. All right. Wayne Gretzky has won the Art Ross Trophy. That's the NHL scoring title ten times. Six of those times, he won by an absolutely absurd margin over the second place player. How okay? So I'm going to ask you: How big was the margin? Essentially, what's the floor on this on this point differential? Like, what's you know you know what I'm saying? Okay, let's see here. Let's go with 75 points. 
75 points is your final answer. Final answer. Close enough, you are correct. 70 points, he beat out the second place scorer six times. Wow. Jesus, God. The the biggest that... point differential, um, he, beat his, he beat his teammate out in Edmonton, Paul Coffey, by 79 points one season. Man, that dude is just a fucking god of hockey. Like, it is insane. He's... Like he's the most. Insane. He's the. I, I'll say this. He he just turned sixty this year, um, and he still looks like he like he's still in great shape for somebody who's sixty and played hockey for like twenty some years. Um, but like, when whenever people like Michael Jordan's the goat. I mean, okay, fine. Except for that, Wayne Gretzky comparatively makes Michael Jordan look like shit. Um, right. Wayne Gretzky. There is no. There is no one like the fact that there's like a LeBron versus versus Jordan versus Kobe kind of discussion is like you know any argument you have there is valid. There is no valid valid argument in hockey that anyone is anywhere close to good as Wayne Gretzky. Even like probably the second best player of all time, Mario Lemieux, like comes up way short. And and everything that Gretzky's ever like all the records that Gretzky has, Lemieux is well behind them. It's it's insane. Yeah, Gretzky's got, like, distance on some of these records, too. You know, like, it's not like some of these are close. He's got, like, distance between him and the second person and stuff. So it's just nuts, the, the, that level of dominance. So, okay, and here's here's this part of the trivia that I loved. Um, so, like I said, so six different times he won it by 70 points or more. Um, only, only one non-Gretzky player has ever won a scoring race by more than 30 points. Um, Mario Lemieux won by 31 points in 88-89. Um, the past six NHL scoring races were determined by a combined 60 points. Jesus. I mean, that's insane. Jesus. That's insane. There's, hold on, there's one more that's, I, there's another one I thought about going with here. Oh, uh, so if I were to ask this as a question, Wayne Gretzky is the only player ever to do this four times. <sighs> Wow, uh, it would be wouldn't it be something like um, win a championship scoring title and like two other things in a season four years in a row or something like that? He actually probably did that, but um, <laughs> you know, he's the only player to score to record a two hundred point season, and he did it four times. <laughs> Fucking Gordon Bombay, Jesus yeah, Christ. <laughs> Mario Lemieux again. Mario Lemieux's pop, his name pops up a lot. Um, Mario Lemieux is the only other player besides Gretzky to reach one hundred and seventy points or more. And Lemieux just just missed 200 points. He scored 199 one season. God damn, dude. God damn. But, Le, but Gretzky did four times. Yeah, I'm telling you, that is a fucking god right there. That is a god on the ice. It's it's inc- it's insane. So okay, sorry. Last little bit of Gretzky trivia here because this this is shocking. So when Gretzky beat Gretzky beat the previous um, high point mark uh, set by Phil Esposito. Um, he previous high point mark was 152, so he bested it by his this he he hit uh, 212 points in this season. So he beat Esposito's watermark high watermark of 152 points by 41. percent So that's like someone Eric Dickerson has the NFL rushing record with 2105 yards. That's like a running back rushing for 2977 yards. <laughs> My God, dude. Gr- yeah, Gretzky Jeez. is. Gretzky is the most dominant team sports player in the history of sports. And I don't think it's even close. 
Yeah, without a doubt, dude. Without a fucking doubt. With those kind of records, yeah, easily. Easily. God damn. That's insane. It's yeah, just, it's nuts. Well, it's just like, it's almost like people like shouldn't be that good at something. So, I mean, know? it's it, like, no one should be that good. But then like, it's because he played hockey and not basketball or football or even baseball. Like, and because he, he's from Canada too. How many people like even know any of this stuff about Gretzky other than that he was really good? Yeah, probably not a lot of people, dude. Like, they probably know him as just a really good hockey guy. Yeah. That yeah. played that one time. Exactly. All right. I don't, Chum, I don't have anything else. Do you have any final thoughts here before we uh, get out of here? Just let's get the sports on. Very fucking excited about football this year. Like, I'm the Buckeyes, USC, the Browns, like all the, the teams that I follow and stuff. Very excited for it. Let's fucking do it up. I'm, I'm, I'm so gosh, I'm so ready. I'm so ready for for pro football, but thank God we get a taste of some pads this weekend. At least, at least some college football's happening, even if it doesn't really matter just yet. So yeah, I'm I'm yeah. I'm excited. Fall is almost here. Although if you go to the grocery stores around here, all the fucking everything pumpkin spice is already out. So technically, falls here oh, by yeah. grocery store standards. Um, yep. But yeah, we're almost there, man. I'm so excited. Same thing out here with the fucking grocery stores, dude. The exact same it's thing. It's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> you guys even celebrate fall out there? I mean, really? Like, dude, it's. I'm telling you, this area is so big and diverse. There are sections of it that look like fucking Hudson. They have oak trees. They had changed leaves in the fall. Like, it may not be in October. Like, they may be November, December, or whatever. But I, I this area is so fucking diverse. I got palm trees in in my fucking area of town. But you go to other places, it looks just like suburbia. So I'm telling you, it's they celebrate everything out i here. think i think they're just trying to make all all of the midwesterners feel at home that live there that's probably what's going on dude <laughs> that definitely all right put I the pumpkin shit sure. out for all the people from michigan <laughs> right yeah exactly make those fucking uh trolls and goats very happy <laughs> <laughs> all right i don't have anything else man you want to lead us out of here yeah, I definitely will, dude. I got to meet uh, Jess and everything here. So thank you very much, everybody, for tuning into our sports episode. Hopefully you are just as excited as we are. We got that fucking shit coming right up. So Adam Chemilewski, Matthew Pagel for The Occasionalists, we're wishing you the best. Go Browns, go Buckeyes, go Trojans, and we will see you all next time.